Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the 50th episode of the Surprise Jab Podcast. I know this is crazy. I can't believe I'm here. I can't believe I have made 50 episodes now of this podcast. I mean, this started as just some thing I started back in July because I was driving around for work a lot, listening to podcasts. I was kind of like, you know what? I've always talked about since I was in sixth grade, fifth grade, even I go as far back to fourth grade as starting a YouTube channel, starting just some form of me talking, me doing something, playing video games, just talking about UFC, talking about the NFL. And I actually started this. I actually followed through every single week. I make an episode, at least sometimes two and rarely three. I mean, but we've put out episodes every single Single week since the first week of July, and it has just been an incredible run. And we are here with episode 50 here, December 19th, 2023. I am recording this. Absolutely amazing. And it's just been such a blessed year. It's just been 2023 has been an amazing year for me. Um, it's it's ending well. I think that's right. It started well and it's ending well. Did we have some hiccups along the way? Not as many as past years. Today's just been, I mean, today, uh, this whole year has just been so amazing. And I'm just so blessed for all my family, my friends, all my loved ones, all, everyone in my life. I'm just so incredibly blessed. And just thank you to everyone who listens to this. You know, this we've gotten almost to 1,200 downloads of the podcast. Incredible. I'm you know, I can't believe there's even people that have listened to this that I'll never know. I'll never meet you and you listen to an episode. Even if you did listen to the full thing, you listen to 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. I mean, I appreciate it so very much. So just thank you guys. Thank you to all the listeners. Thank you everyone who supports me. Let's get into the episode, everyone. We got a fun one today for being the 50th episode. Of course, we'll be reviewing UFC 296, the final pay-per-view, the final UFC event of 2023 went down this past Saturday. We'll be discussing all the fights and everything surrounding that event. We'll also be recapping everything that went down in week 15. The NFL, a lot went down, 16 games. So we're going to have a lot to talk about, especially in Fantasyland, as I will be advancing to the second round, or basically I'll be advancing to another week of playoffs in two of my leagues and in two of my other leagues I will not be so we'll get to that later of course checking in with the leagues the NBA the NHL talk about some new fights some new UFC news all sorts of new TV shows movies and our surprise for the episode is we will be ranking every single fight night UFC fight night so not pay-per-views every single UFC fight night main event of 2023 we had 29 fight nights during the year of course fight nights are not not the big pay-per-views. You don't have to pay for them. You can watch them on ESPN or ESPN Plus or just anywhere. Um, but we'll be ranking all 29 of those fights. And I'll be ranking a number of things over the next few episodes. So stay tuned for that. Of course, we'll be heading to Chicago for Christmas. We'll be doing a fun episode with my cousin Ryan. He was on episode three of the podcast. He's a day one supporter. Love that kid. And we'll be doing an episode with him. So we might do some rankings with him. We'll be doing some fun activities with him. Stay tuned for that. That should be dropping Christmas Eve or Christmas Day or even the day after Christmas. We shall see. But let's get into everything, guys. Starting us off. As we always start off, we will be going over some new UFC fight news. That's right, some new fights were announced over the last few days. Dana White was going crazy. He couldn't take it. He was like, 2024 is going to be so freaking good. Uh, I just have to announce everything. And you know what, Dana? I'm all here for it. For starters, um, March 30th, the UFC will be going to Atlantic City. 
absolutely crazy. They're going down to Atlanta, putting on a fun event. Is that is that Georgia? I think it's going Georgia. That's where Atlantic City is at. Um, but yeah, I'm hearing that uh, Vicente Luque versus Sean Brady will be on that card. Uh, Vicente Luque currently ranked number nine. Sean Brady currently ranked number seven in the men's welterweight division. And I'm also hearing that number two contender in the women's flyweight division, Aaron Blanchfield, might be main eventing. These are all just rumors at the moment, but should be fun. Other rumors going on at the moment, undefeated Russian Shara Magomedov, currently not even ranked in the UFC uh, t- uh, middleweight division, is rumored to be main eventing UFC Saudi Arabia March 2nd. I'm hearing word that it could be Marvin Vittori or Jack Hermanson, no, not Jack Hermanson, or Paulo Costa that he fights. So either one of those two guys. Jack Hermanson's fighting Joe Pfeiffer in February. But those are just some interesting, interesting updates that I've been hearing. I mean, there's just a lot of speculation at the moment about um, who's going to be main eventing all these. But I'm just hoping that the UFC comes to Minnesota. Of course, Minnesota boy here. I've been dying for the UFC to come to Minnesota for some time since I became a fan. And when did I become a fan? September 2019. Isn't that crazy? That feels like a lifetime ago. And yeah, I can remember where I was for every single UFC event. I can actually remember where I was for every single UFC event since 2019. Probably since 20, December of 2019. That's probably as far back as I can go. But as for new fights that have been announced at the press conference, the uh, or the post-conference, I should say, uh, the post-press conference of UFC 296, Dana White dropped some bombshells for UFC 299 going down in Miami, Florida on March 9th of 2024. UFC 299, March 9th, it correlates. Um, Kevin Holland, currently ranked number 12 at men's welterweight, will be taking on new UFC signee, a new UFC fighter, Michael Fett. Venom Page, also known as MVP, an excellent Bellator fighter. He's also been in um, what's it called bare knuckle fighting. He's twenty one and two. I mean, this guy is absolutely insane. He'll win over Douglas Lima, Paul Daly, two former UFC fighters. Uh, this guy's been a champion in other promotions. He's incredible highlight reels. This guy is an absolute stud. Cannot wait to see him fight Kevin Trailblazer Holland, who is eleven and seven in the UFC, but has just oh so many finishes. Oh my gosh, how many finishes does Kevin have? I should check his UFC page uh, of his twenty five wins. Actually, twenty five wins. Um, I don't know what a what a Big Marcel's on about. Big Marcel, of course, a notable UFC newsbreaker. He's very reliable. Uh, but of his twenty five uh, victories, twenty one by finish. Twelve of those in the first round. Kevin Holland versus Michael Venom Page going to be a fun one, probably to kick off the card on uh, March 9th at UFC two ninety nine. Headlined by Sean O'Malley versus Marlon Vera for the men's bantamweight championship. Also on that card. Another welterweight matchup between number eight ranked, oh, Jeff Neal. Jeff Neal's ranked number eight now, and number 10, Ian Machado Gary. That's right, Ian Gary is back, the 12-0 fighter from Ireland. I mean, he's he's getting another fight, and he was supposed to fight Vicente Luque this past weekend. He caught pneumonia. He's been catching some slack for being, uh, pardon my language, a cuck. A cuck because his wife apparently wrote a book on how to be the wife of a younger sports athlete, and his wife is 40 years old. He's 26. He has a kid with her, and her ex-husband lives with them. It is such a weird scenario, but Ian Gary's personal life aside, he's an excellent fighter. He's undefeated. He's 12-0. Been absolute stud since he came into the UFC. Eight of his 13 wins by finish. 
Oh my gosh, Big Marcel is freaking behind on all of his records for these fighters. I'll have to use the UFC as knowledge. But as for Jeff Neal, Jeff has not fought since he got finished by Shavkat Rachmanov at UFC 285 in March of 2023. Of his 15 wins, 9 by knockout, 2 by submission. This guy does not like to wait around for fights. He likes to get them done quick with his hands. But um, it should be interesting. I'll probably be back in Ian Gary in that, but Jeff Neal, you do your thing. I believe these two are actually supposed to fight beforehand. I believe they're supposed to fight in uh, at UFC 292 or something, and Jeff Neal pulled out. So there's a bit of, bit of history between those two fighters. It'll be an exciting one in March. Another fight announced for UFC 299 at welterweight. I mean, three huge welterweight fights announced. Number four ranked Gilbert Burns of the welterweight division, taking on number 11 ranked Jack Della Maddalena. And oh boy, I'm so pumped for this one. Gilbert Burns last lost to Bilal Muhammad in in May, I believe it was, but he got injured in that fight, took it on short notice. Just unfortunate results for Doreenio Burns. Uh, but he's back, you know, he's 22 and 6, 15 finishes, 11 in the first round. I mean, this guy's an absolute killer, and he's beaten so many people at welterweight. I mean, who he's beaten Wonderboy Thompson. He's beaten who else has he beaten? Um I don't know. Who else is who are some of his wins? Now that I'm trying to trying to remember it, now that I've been put on the spot, I'm trying to remember. Um he beats who else does he beat? Tyron Woodley. Uh who did he beat anyone in twenty twenty two? Lost to Hamza. Gosh, Gilbert's kind of had a rough run as of late. Uh, oh, he beat Jorge Masvidal this year. Completely forgot about that fight at UFC 287. My bad. Master Jack Della Maddalena, perfect 6-0 in the UFC. The Australian boasts a very, very impressive professional record of 15 wins and 2 losses. 13 of those by finish, 11 by knockout, 8 in the first round. I mean, you just cannot get enough of Jack. His last two fights have left uh, little to be appetized per se. A tough split decision win and a controversial split, split decision win over Kevin Holland. So after finishing his first four UFC opponents, his last two have gone to split decisions. Both have been debated on if he truly won. I'd, I'd honestly probably say he has, but very interesting stuff there. And the final fight that Dana White announced at the post-press conference was a bantamweight fight rebooked between number five ranked Piotr Jan and number seven ranked Song. Yay, dong, absolutely love it. Piotr Jan is not fought. Since he lost to Marab Duvashelli in March of 2023, got absolutely destroyed, had 49 takedowns shot on him, and 11 were landed, so they don't really give him credit for defending 38 takedowns. I feel like they should. He was supposed to fight Song Ye Dong um, December 9th at UFC Shanghai. Of course, that fight card was moved to the Apex in Las Vegas, and Song Ye Dong ended up fighting Chris Gutierrez. But Song Ye Dong now finds himself a little two-fight win streak, ranked number seven. I mean, best career wins over Marlon Marais. Marlon Vera, actually, to win over. And earlier this year, Ricky Simone. Pietro Jan, not much more to say for him. The guy's 8-4 and four in the UFC, wins over Jose Aldo, Corey Sanday, and Ryan Faber. This guy is action. Cannot wait to watch them fight. Some other minor fights that have been announced, one for UFC 298 in Anaheim, California, on the prelims most likely, is Rinya Nakamura, who's 8-0, all finishes, or not all finishes, like I think 7 or 6 finishes. Um, he'll be taking on Brady Bam Bam Heistet, who's 7-2, 2-1 in the UFC. Happy to see those guys going at it. It should be a fun one at Bantamweight between some rising prospects. And one announced today between Zach Pauga, runner-up from the past season, or not the past season, from season, what was it, 30 of The Ultimate Fighter? He got knocked out by Kamaru Usman's brother, 
But um, Zach Pauga back for a fight against Bogdan Guskov. Bogdan Guskov, of course, uh, fourteen and three, was a high prospect who debuted in Paris and got submitted by Volkan Ozdemir, who never submits anyone. So it was pretty embarrassing. But they're looking to give Bogdan one more chance and Zach Pauga one more chance, as he's one and two in the UFC. Pretty, pretty embarrassing. So. So yeah, those are the fights that have been announced as of late, but honestly, I'm pretty excited for them. I'm pretty excited for all the big ones they got for UFC 298, 299. It's stacking up to be just an amazing year in 2024. So pumped for all of those fights. Let me tell you what else I've been pumped about have been the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have been playing out of their freaking minds, but did have y'all heard, actually I'm not pumped about this, about Anthony Edwards' situation with his side chick? So he um, had been seeing this OnlyFans model, of course OnlyFans, a site, I, I I'd hate to call it porn, but it's basically online porn. Uh, met up with one of their stars, per se. Did the deed, got her pregnant, and she wanted to keep the baby. And Anthony Edwards, Anthony Edwards, the young Timberwolves star, future of the NBA, paid her $100,000 to get an abortion. Absolutely insane, Anthony Edwards. Being my boy. Anthony Edwards, come on, man, come on, you're not rapping it, you're not being smart out there, you know, you're smart on the court, why can't you be smart off the court, you know, and honestly, you know, he was super, the, she shared the text messages, it was, he just seemed like a D-I-C-K, now, I, I do get it, if you're trying to do a little one-night stand action, don't want anything more to do with the chick, but, um, you know, plenty of famous athletes, they got their, uh, they got their babies on the side, Anthony Edwards, I'm sorry you got yourself in that scenario, but uh, that's irrelevant as the Timberwolves are now 20-5, and five, best team in the West, tied for best team in the East, and they're actually probably better than the Celtics at the moment. They're on a three-game win streak, 11-1 and one at home, 11-1 and one at home, that's insane. 9-4 and four on the road, not even too bad, 13-3 and three in the Western Conference, this team is absolutely outstanding, 9-1 their last 10 games, that's a, that's a good feat right there. And second in the West is the Young Thunder, uh, 17 and 8. They're on a two game win streak. Nuggets, 18 and 10, are at the three. Kings, 16 and 9, on a three game heater, have worked their way back up to the number four spot. And the Mavericks are now at five after dropping their last game. 16 and 10 record for them. Clippers have completely rebounded their whole season. I mean, James Harden actually turning it up. Eight game win streak for them now, 16 and 10. They're the number six seed, 9 and 1, their last 10. Pelicans on a four-game heater are now 16-11 at the 7th seed, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Two-game losing streak, though, still at the 8th seed, 15-12. Bottom of the pack in the West, the Grizzlies, 6-19, and are on a five-game losing streak. John Morant will be returning before we know it, but he has a lot to prove. Trailblazers at the 14th seed, 6-19 and on a seven-game losing streak. And the Spurs, 4-21 and on a one-game losing streak, but I will say they did snap their, like, 18-game losing streak. 1-9 their last 10, though. As we jump to the West, I mean, not the West, the East, I should say. Celtics, top of the East, tied for best team in the league, 20-5 and on a five-game win streak, a perfect 14-0 at home. So maybe they are better than the Timberwolves. I know the Timberwolves, I do know, hold a win over them earlier in the year. Amazing stuff from the Celtics this year. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, been playing amazing. I mean, I just cannot get enough of the Celtics and the Timberwolves. Could be, that would be a banger of an NBA Finals matchup. We'll see if the Timberwolves can break the Minnesota playoff curse. Bucks, number two seed, 19-7 and seven on a four-game heater. Giannis just continues to dominate these little NBA players. He's just so amazing. 
76ers 18 and 8 at the 3. Magic 16 and 9 on a two-game losing streak are the four seed. Incredible. Young Guns, Cole Anthony and Jalen. Uh, Jalen, what's his name? Played for Gonzaga. Uh, Suggs, yes. Knicks at the 5 seed, 15 and 11. Cavs 15 and 12 at the 6. Heat coming off a loss to the Timberwolves the other night, 15 and 12. Nets down to 9, 13 and 13 record. Three-game losing streak in the bottom of the pack. Hornets are 7-18, five-game losing streak. It's been atrocious. Wizards, 4-22, two-game losing streak, atrocious. And the worst team in the NBA. Could be the worst team in NBA history. The 2-25 Pistons, who are on a 24-game losing streak. Wow. Last time the Pistons won a game, I was still not even halfway through um, my uh, semester at college. That's a wild thought. It was in October, I think. Wow, just atrocious. Pistons, get your act together, guys. Um, what would uh, Bill Lambier say? What would, who was that? Isaiah Thomas say? I was trying to think of some of the other some of the other legendary Pistons players. Um, ben Wallace, what would Ben Wallace say? Uh, who was the guy with the dreads? He was like the point guard. Uh, who wore the mask? Rip Hamilton. What would Rip Hamilton say about you guys? Just absolutely atrocious performance. From the Pistons, but the Timberwolves, best team in the NBA. I can't complain. Nothing more to say. Checking out our hockey friends, Rangers, top of the Metropolitan Division, 21-7-1. They have 43 points and tied for best also in the East and the, on top of their division, the Atlantic Division. The Boston Brewers, 19-5-5. Impressive stuff from the Bruins and the Rangers carrying the Eastern Conference. They've been looking good. Maple Leafs, Panthers, Flyers, all in their tails, been doing their Part worst team in the Eastern Conference, the Senators, eleven and fifteen, only twenty-two points to show for them. Four-game losing streak. Nothing really impressive in the Eastern Conference, um, despite the Rangers and Bruins being on top. Jumping to the West, Golden Knights, best team in the league by a not I wouldn't say mile, but at least by half a mile. Golden Knights are twenty-one six and five, forty-seven points for them. They've just been looking amazing, but also with twenty-one wins, nine losses, two overtime losses, uh, and forty-four points to show for them. The Canucks also dominating, second best team in the league, second best team in the West, respectfully, but doing their part. Pretty good stuff from them. And the Central Division, um, in your third and fourth spot in the West, you have the Stars, who are eighteen eight and four with forty points, and they have. Lynch, 19-10-2 with 40 points. Good stuff for them. Um, at the bottom, the very bottom of the pack, used to be the Sharks, who are 9-19-3, but despite being on a two-game losing streak and only having 21 points, they're not even the worst team. It's the Chicago Blackhawks, worst team in the league, 9-20-1 record, 19, loss, uh, 19 points, I should say, four-game losing streak. They have 20 losses, actually 21 losses in total. Uh, Connor Bedard, one of the greatest uh, hockey prospects of all time, is just can't do much with this Blackhawks team. Sorry to say, they're in a rebuilding phase. I hate to, I hate to tell you, Connor. My Minnesota Wild, it's not looking pretty either. Bottom of the pack in the West, bottom in the whole NHL in general. They're the seventh seed in the Central Division, 12-13-4 record, only 28 points coming off of a loss. Yeah, it's tough. Wild aren't too good this year, but we can't have a good Wild team and a good um, Wild, I mean, uh, Timberwolf team. You know, it's one or the other, 
And finally, the Timberwolves have put it together as the Wild appear to be entering a rebuild phase. Sad, sad to see. Vikings, middle of the pack. We'll get to them later. Any big winning streaks or losing streaks? Predators, four-game win streak in the fourth spot in the Central Division with 36 points. 18-13 and 13 record. Interesting to see what the rest of the NHL season holds. And actually, for all my hockey friends here in Minnesota, looks like the ice is finally freezing up. I saw a couple of my buddies were getting out there. I know a couple of them live on a lake by my house or not too close to my house, by my uh, uh, high school I went to. Um, so good for them, being able to get out there, get on the ice. I never got into skating. I did a bit on a pond by myself. I've gone with my girlfriend. I've done it at school, but never really was my thing. I was more of a, was more of a football, basketball guy. And I got into basketball just because... Uh, I like the practices better for basketball than I did for football and uh, never started hockey. So, yeah, it's funny how our lives all turn out as they do. I don't know if they really want to phrase it like that, but that's how we're going to do it. Keeping us rolling along on this special 50th episode of the Surprise Job Podcast, let me talk to you all about some shows I've been watching. I love talking about movies. And TV shows. I mean, I'm not as good as, like, there's other people who dedicate their whole YouTube channels, podcasts. I mean, even Instagrams, TikToks, Snapchats, just to talk about movies and TV shows. But I always like to share what I've been watching as of late, just to see what everyone else's opinions are on stuff. For starters, I've been watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters on Apple TV+. Plus. It's been pretty good starring Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell. Of course, Kurt is the Kurt Russell legendary actor. And his son, Wyatt, who's equally as good. He's been in the uh, new Captain America or not the Captain America, but Falcon Winter Soldier show. He's been in some other movies I've noticed. But um, he's been great in it. Uh, lead actresses have been great. And it's been super good. It's part of like the Godzilla, Kong, Godzilla vs. Kong, you know, universe. New movie for that coming out next year, as we mentioned a number of times. But um, yeah, new episode, episode 6 dropped spoiler alert for anyone who plans on watching it but it's been it's been heating up of course um what are their names kiko the randas or whatever they've been hunting for their father they finally found him and then godzilla was like in the desert or something i have no idea what was up with that but they've shown godzilla multiple times in the show which has been pretty pretty neat um it looks like they're going to find a way to stop all the monsters or something. But the weird part is, is this takes place after Godzilla, but before Ka Godzilla 2 or whatever, King of the Monsters. So I kind of want to see how this adds to the story. And also, it's like a flashback. So they tell like a story in 2015 and then also a story back in the 50s and 60s. And the 50s and 60s story actually happens before Kong Skull Island. So I wonder if we're going to get little Easter eggs about Kong Skull Island and about Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters and stuff. They always reference Godzilla, the 2014 film. But I'm interested to see where they take the rest of the show. Um, new episodes dropping Friday, uh, episode seven, eight, nine, ten. So we get four more episodes. I'll probably watch one on my drive to Chicago. Should be pretty entertaining. I've loved this show. It's been fun. I like the CGI monsters and stuff, at least for the Godzilla universe. It's been, it's been fun. Some movies I've watched as of late. My girlfriend was over, what was it? Sunday? I think it was, was it Sunday or Monday night? I think it was Sunday night. Sunday night? I'm trying to think. It doesn't matter. But um, we watched Elf. The number of times I've seen Elf have just been one too many. But at the same time, it never gets old. It never gets old. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Watch it every Christmas. And Will Ferrell is just so funny. And I laugh at moments that I've laughed at hundreds of times, which I find funny. Because honestly, I uh, I rarely laugh at things twice, I feel. 
I know for a fact that my parents, my dad especially, he laughs at things multiple times. Like SNL skits, Will Ferrell movies, uh, Ted movies. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's hard to rewatch something and find it just as funny. And Elf always seems to get me. And I always notice things that I don't notice before, such as I, I always forget, I feel, that, um, oh my gosh, who's Happy Hogan from Iron Man movies? He was in um, Couples Retreat. John Favreau, John Favreau, I forget he's in the movie and actually directed the movie. He's a, he's such a good movie director slash actor. Love John Favreau. I love his work too. But yes, Elf, so amazing. And I heard that uh, Will Ferrell turned down like millions of dollars to make a sequel. I'm so glad they did because it just keeps the original so, so special. Another movie we watched that night was Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation starring Chevy Chase, part of the Vacation franchise, uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. They did Vegas Vacation, European Vacation. Uh, what's his name? Not Andy, not Sudeikis. Uh, Sandberg, no. Andy from The Office. What's Jason something? I don't know. He starred in one also uh, in uh, 2015, 2018 or whatever, a little reboot. But um, the, the original Vacation, so good. Christmas Vacation, hilarious. So many funny one-liners in that film. Chevy Chase is a riot. Love that guy. Uh, just a, such a good Christmas movie. Such one of those hidden gems. I mean, I don't watch it all the time every Christmas, but uh, when I can catch the movie, I always do watch it because it is a fun one. And the last movie that I watched as of late, of course, with The Girlfriend, because I don't watch movies on my own, clearly. I only watch them when I'm with my girlfriend, was The Greatest Showman, starring Hugh Jackman, Zac Efron, Zendaya was in it even. And I was hesitant. I was hesitant to watch it. I was like, this sounds kind of stupid. And like almost every movie she shows me, you know, I hate admitting I'm wrong. I think admitting I'm wrong is one of the least favorite things I like to do. But it was a good movie. A lot of, lot of singing. A lot of singing. And, you know, I like La La Land. I like Rock of Ages. I like some of those movie type Break out in the song type films. But, you know, there was a couple songs here I wasn't rocking with too much. But other than that, it was pretty good. It was basically about the creation of the first ever circus, P.T. Barnum or whatever. And sort of a redemption story for him. It was good, ended well, and I really liked it. It was a fun movie. There were some funny moments in it, but just a lot of singing. I won't lie, just a lot, a lot of singing. Not one of my most favorite movies ever, but certainly not bad. Certainly not a bad movie. And one of my buddies told me that he's actually... Uh, what is it? He has like he's listened to every song on the soundtrack, and the soundtrack itself. I've recognized I've recognized so many songs from like TikTok audios, Instagram audios, songs used in videos, and I'm like, oh, it's from this movie. I find that pretty interesting that that's uh, that's just that movie has been become so popular, and I never ended up watching it. But yes, on Disney Plus, if you ever want to watch it, Greatest Showman. It's a good watch if you're just looking for a new fun movie with the family too. I think it's a good family movie. A lot of good life lessons, like bringing in freaks to make yourself money, and then leaving to go to America with another woman when you leave your wife and kids behind. Excellent, excellent life lessons from Hugh Jackman as P.T. Barnum. Of course, I'm being sarcastic, if no one can tell from my tone. And with that, that's kind of our intro. Find it funny, our intro or like our opening segment always takes 30-ish minutes or just about. And then the rest of the show, the segments take so much longer. And I mean, when I have guests, I always come up with different things to make them last longer. And for when we have Ryan on in um, one of our upcoming, I don't know if it's going to be the next one or one more after that. Depends if I want to record an episode before I leave um, Saturday. So I'll either record one Thursday, upload it Friday, or I just don't <laughs> upload one, I guess. But um, yeah. 
We'll be going over a bunch of stuff with him. He's a big NFL guy. We'll mention a little NBA action. Of course, all the fun stuff like that. But with that, let's get to our surprise topic of the episode. I don't know if it's really a surprise. I mean, it's it's certainly something spontaneous. I would use that word. But yes, ranking every Fight Night main event of 2023. It, it was a task. It was a task to do this. Or it was a task to rank every Fight Night main event, all 29. And let me just tell you guys, the other stuff I've gotten cooked up is ranking every pay-per-view main event of 2023. That one's going to be a fun one for sure. Ranking every title fight of 2023. That one's been interesting. I believe we had 21 title fights and 14 pay-per-views this year, so I'll be doing that. Ranking every fight night itself is just a madness. I that, that, that has been just such a task. How many have there been? 29. Yes, I believe I have a rough draft of the list I'm going to use, but um, I might just not even edit it. I might just ride with it and try to like, defend myself, such as like I'm trying to probably going to do with the Fight Nights list that I'm about to share with you guys on my ranking. But um, yeah, we're going to be doing a bunch of fun stuff like that. And of course, I'll be ranking every single pay-per-view. It's kind of like the final the final ticking point of the year. But um, yeah, without a doubt, let's dive into every single fight night main event of UFC. Or I should basically clarify, if no one knows. So the UFC does pay-per-views and fight nights. Fight nights are basically not as huge as pay-per-views. Usually, and nowadays, happen at the UFC Apex, which is their training facility. Or they'll go in front of a crowd, such as they've gone to Brazil, Sao Paulo. They've gone to Austin, Texas. Uh, San Diego, they go to Louisiana, though they haven't, but Texas and stuff, they go all around. But um, And then uh, pay-per-views are the big ones. You have seen pay- the pay-per-views, that's where you get your title fights. That's where you get your Conor McGregor's, your Brock Lesnar's, you know, the John Jones, those types of guys. So for the UFC in 2023, they did 14 pay-per-views, usually about one a month, sometimes two, and then you get your fight nights, which they usually do through... Uh, I'd say three to four, three to four every month, sometimes two, never one. So uh, for 2023, we had 29. I went through and looked at all of them because I watched just about all of them. I'll mention if I didn't really watch any of them and I compiled a list. I, I took basically, if there was a crowd, like the crowd reaction to it, how I felt watching it. And just how the actual fight went. So I did take a lot of factors into this for all of my lists I'm going to be sharing with you guys. I actually put time and effort into doing it. But it's just kind of tough because then I go back and I analyze, okay, there was this part of the fight. Okay, the crowd was there. The crowd wasn't there. But I was able to go over everything, give my opinion. So here's officially my list. Crazy enough. Crazy enough. I feel like 29 is just as big as number one because everyone's kind of curious. What was the worst fight night main event of the year? And I, this took a lot. This took a lot. And I honestly looked at all the Apex event and I was like, okay, any event, the UFC Apex obviously had to be pretty bad. And then I was like, you know, every event with a crowd should have been easily in the top 10, right? Incorrect. Our worst fight night main event for the year happened November 4th. At UFC Sao Paulo, in, live in front of a crowd at in, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and it was Halton Almeida versus Derek Lewis. That is right. Number currently, well, we'll, we'll say currently ranked, but Halton Almeida is currently ranked number seven, and he took a number ten ranked Derek Lewis. That's their current ranking, but I will say at the time they were, well, I think like ten and eleven. But this was an absolutely atrocious, atrocious main event. It was absolutely terrible. Halton Almeida, who is known for finishing guys um finishing guys it's pretty funny but 
um, knocking out and submitting his opponents, um, had never been the distance in his entire professional career. He was 19-2, and two, all finishes, and he was taking on Derek Lewis, who had previously lost the majority of his fights from being outgrappled and just in general had been uh, taken advantage of. I mean, Sergey Spivak, earlier in the year in February, had beaten him in three minutes after taking him down six times. So it was looking like it was going to be a Dalton Almeida stomping ground, just absolutely taken to him, and instead... For five straight rounds, Halton Almeida just grappled Derek Lewis. It was so boring. I turned out, I think I was busy doing something. When was this? November? November 4th or something? Oh, I was at the I was at the bars actually with my buddies, and I just could not watch this main event. It was it was getting excruciating. 21 minutes and 10 seconds of control time for Halton Almeida. Six of 15 on takedowns. I mean, totals for the fight. Derek Lewis only landed 28 total strikes. This was so boring. In the final round, Halton Almeida didn't even throw a significant strike. He literally just took Derek Lewis down and held him there. This was absolutely terrible. Halton Almeida won a unanimous decision. The worst main event of 2023. What came close was another event in front of a crowd. I just could not believe it. I cannot believe that we had multiple events that happened in front of a crowd that made it this low on my list. Coming in at number 28, Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font, bantamweight main event, which main evented UFC Nashville August 5th. It was it was the same freaking thing. This was promised to be. Now, I should have mentioned that Halt Almeida was supposed to take on Curtis Blades at the uh, UFC Sao Paulo event. That fight's actually been rebooked for UFC 299, fun fact. And for this event, Corey Sanhagen was supposed to take on undefeated Khabib's cousin, Umar Nurmagomedov. Instead, Umar pulled out. Rob Font stepped in. Rob Font um, proceeded to then get out-grappled for all five rounds uh, again. And this one was just equally as bad, but the reason I put it one spot higher is because... Just the Nashville crowd compared to the Sao Paulo crowd, you know, Sao Paulo, we are overseas, and it, um, they probably should have deserved more. And for this one, at least Rob Font was putting up a fight at for a bit of it. I mean, Derek Lewis put up no fight, but Corey Sanhagen grappled his way to a decision. Seven for seven on takedowns, by the way, 100% takedown accuracy. 19 and a half minutes of control time just just got went from bad to worse. This was embarrassing. This was brutal. Um, but it did. Uh, of course, again now, I mean, despite everything, is now actually sitting at the number four spot in the UFC rankings. Rob Font now down to nine. As he suffered, what was it, two defeats in 2020? Yeah, he lost to Chris Hanging and, of course, lost to Davison Figueredo. So, uh, tough stuff for Rob Font. Another one, another freaking fight coming in this low. And honestly, honestly, there's, there's a common denominator here. There's a common denominator that I just noticed coming in at number 27. Marlon Chito Vera versus Corey Sandhagen. This went down, um, if I can find it, March 25th, live at UFC San Antonio, live in Texas, and it was the exact same thing. It was the exact same thing, but the only difference is that Marlon Vera actually came alive in round three and five, kind of. I mean, a bit, bit in round four, but I mean, it was it was pretty much the same thing. Corey Sanhagen, three of 12 on takedowns for seven minutes of control time. Uh, Corey Sanhagen nearly doubled his significant strikes. Actually, he did double 128 to 58. Total strikes had 100 more, 187 to 73, and... To make this even worse, at least the last two were obvious unanimous decisions. This one being an obvious unanimous decision 
ended up being a split decision. And it just everyone was kind of just like, this makes no sense. Why is Marlon Vera at all winning this fight? One judge scored, I believe it was around three, four, and five, all for Marlon Vera. Bad decision, bad fight. This lands at number 27. Coming in at 26, we finally get to the apex, like I was mentioning. I was kind of like, hey, I figured all these fights would be um, in front of, uh, in the apex, and not all of them be in the crowd, but our bottom three were all crowd fights. Coming in at number 26, though, this one went down at the UFC apex September 23rd, uh, as Rafael Faziv took on Matus Gamrot, and this fight was promised to just be a striking masterclass. I mean, we had just seen Rafael Faziv and Justin Gaethje put on an incredible fight the last time Matus Gamrot had had a main event. Him and Armin Tezukrian put on a, a fight of the night. It was absolutely, they both had coming off of some big fights, and instead, Sadly, after an intense round one, you know, it was pretty competitive. Half Alpha Ziv would tear his ACL. I believe it was in round number two. And you may be like, okay, you know, is that warranted to be put low? Well, it it was, you know, the fight was stopped two minutes in round two. Hafel just went down. And to make matters worse, Matus Gamrot started celebrating like he freaking won the belt. And it was just like, okay, Matus, he clearly got hurt. He was clearly injured. You should not be celebrating. And instead, Matus was having himself a little freaking party. So it was kind of comical. I did pick Matus Gamrot. I actually went 5-0 and in my picks for this event. But getting getting injured, very sad. Made Made me sad. Made me sad because, you know, Hafel Fazeev is a super, super, super entertaining fighter to fight. A little stutter there. But, um, yeah, unfortunate stuff as it lands at number 26. Getting into our top 25 at 25, our last fight night of the year. December 9th, UFC Vegas, ooh, what was it? 83, as Song Yedong took on Chris Gutierrez. And I don't know what you want me to say from this one. It's just your typical apex fight. Song Ye Dong, the Kung Fu Kid, dominated. Chris Gutierrez, five straight rounds, 50-45 to him on the judges' scorecards. Two of three on takedowns for 11 minutes of control time. I mean, round couple rounds, rounds one and three were fought on the feet. But once Song Ye Dong realized Chris Gutierrez could not defend his takedowns, he just kept taking him down. Song Ye Dong wins a boring decision, but it was Song Ye Dong. You know, and I don't even recall what was I doing. I think I was at the I was at the bar again. I was at the bar again while this fight was going on. I swear I'm not at the bar all the time. I swear just for the past semester I've been at the bar a bit with the boys. You know, having a good time. But yeah, Song Ye Dong and in the year very very well. Song Ye Dong is now ranked number seven. Absolutely love the kid. But uh, yeah. Not a good main event from him and Chris Gutierrez. Chris Gutierrez barely hanging on to a ranking spot at men's bantamweight. Coming in at number 24, an August event at the UFC Apex as Vicente Luque took on Rafael Dos Anjos. And it's kind of just the same theme here. Just a boring five-round fight. I mean, nothing bad, really. I wouldn't say anything bad. I mean, Vicente Luque outstrikes Rafael Dos Anjos, takes him down 8 of 11 times for 12 minutes of control time. Rafael did win some rounds in this fight, though, Like unlike the last few when they've just been dominations. Um, judges' final scorecards, 48-47, 48-47, and 49-46 in favor of Vicente Luque. And I will say this did feel good for Vicente Luque as he had been coming off of terrible brain bleed. It kept him out a full year. It was good to see him return. Sad I didn't get to see him fight at UFC 296. Um, but as for this, as for this fight, just nothing, nothing to talk about. Literally nothing to talk about. So a couple takedowns, back and forth striking, and when it came down to it, it was just a grapple fest from Vicente, and not even a good grapple fest. Sometimes you get good ones. This one was not a good one. 
Coming in at number 23, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, number, however you want to phrase it, our first fight night of the year. Going down at the UFC Apex, I think it was UFC Apex 67, if I'm not incorrect, as Sean Strickland took on Nazardine Imavov. And I'll tell you, this fight aged incredibly well for Nazardine Imavov, as he was supposed to take on Calvin Gaslam. Okay, because we'll stay on Calvin Gaslam. Calvin gets hurt. Sean Strickland steps in. He had just lost the last event in December, so he hadn't even been a month out of action to Jared Kanier by split decision. He thought he won that fight. He was like, UFC, call me. I'm ready for redemption. And Nazardine had been on a tear. I mean, the kid had joined the UFC. He had gone 4-1, and one, his only loss uh, to Phil Hawes in 2021. He had just finished. He and Heinish and Edmund Jabazian got a big win over Joaquin Buckley in Paris and was slated to jump into the top 10 before Sean Sean Strickland absolutely derailed him. And this was just five straight rounds of Sean Strickland showing his technical boxing against Nazanin Imavov. And even in round number two, took him down just to prove he could take him down. Nazanin just could not get it going. He was able to win one round on two judges' scorecards and two rounds on, what was it, other two judges' scorecards? I have no idea. Totals from the fight, Sean Strickland outstrikes him 194 to 131, significantly 182 to 123. I do say this aged terrifically as Sean Strickland ended the year as your men's middleweight champion. He's probably my pick for fighter of the year. If I'm being honest, I mean, the guy went from losing two fights in 2022, getting knocked out by Alex Pereira, losing to Jerry Kanier, to winning back-to-back fights over no names, ended up saying, ah, son, yes, so. I mean, Nazardine isn't a no-name, by the way. Nazardine is super talented, but as for this list, he lands at uh, at number 23. At number 22, we're heading back to the start of the year, as well as we head to our, what was it, our second fight night of the year? Was it? It was. UFC Vegas 68, I believe it was, as Derek Lewis took on Sergey Spivak. And unlike... Halton Almeida versus Derek Lewis, uh, Corey Sanhagen versus Rob Font, Marlon Vera versus Corey Sanhagen. Uh, Sergey Spivak outgrappled Derek Lewis, but was able to submit him in three minutes. And I won't lie, this was a pretty good Apex event overall. UFC Vegas 68, it had a bunch of Asian fighters fighting on the card. It was absolutely terrific. But um, yeah, just nothing exciting here. It's more sad. Derek Lewis couldn't defend a takedown to save his life. It was actually just getting annoying that he couldn't stop a takedown. You're kind of like, all right, Derek. You know, if you could defend a takedown, that'd be super nice. Um, But he didn't. Instead, he got taken down six of eight times in three minutes and was submitted by Sergei Spivak with an arm triangle. Um, Following that, Derek Lewis would actually go on to win after this and, of course, lose to Halton Amade, as we know. And Sergei Spivak would go on to get knocked out by Cyril Gond, which we'll get to later as uh, he was in a main event, too. But sadly enough for Derek Lewis, this fight was not good and lands at 22. Coming in at 21, Jarzinho Rosenstruck took on Halton Almeida, another men's heavyweight division main event. Uh, however, this time, um, just similar to the last fight, as I mentioned, Halton Almeida took on Jarzinho Rosenstruck and was able to submit him in round number one. And this is where we thought Jarzinho Rosenstruck was going to have a historic, a historic year. Now, it turned out that was not the case. It turned out that was not the case whatsoever. But you know, I do give uh, I do give some some of the blame to uh, Jorginho Rosenstruck because he just has no takedown defense. I mean, he stuffed the first takedown that Halton hit him with, and then everyone's like, "Okay, okay, this fight's gonna go a certain way." And then, not even two seconds later, Halton shot again, took him down, submitted him with a rear naked chokehold in three minutes and forty three seconds. Just just so similar 
So similar. Jorginho and Sergei Spivak both submit their opponents. And then, you know, actually, then Holtman made and Derek Luce met. So I guess, wow, everything comes full circle. But yeah, that lands at 21 on the list. Just nothing memorable there. But I mean, Jorginho, I mean, Holtman made, I should say, an absolute beast. Jorginho Rosenstruck, you you really need to work on your takedown defense or you'll actually go nowhere. I hate to be rash, but you'll, you'll go nowhere. I'm just telling you how it is. Jumping into our top 20, kicking us off at 20, Holly Holm versus Myra Bueno Selva. Another Apex event. I mean, these Apex events just kill me. Oh my gosh, I just cannot with them. However, you know, of all the bad women's bandwidth bouts we see, this one was good as uh, Myra Bueno Silva got her out of there quickly. At the time, Myra Bueno Silva was on the bottom half of the top 15. She was ranked number 11, number 12, and Holly Holmes was ranked number 3 in the division. And Myra Bueno Silva would end up submitting her in round number 2 with a standing guillotine choke after a competitive round 1 where we thought we would see Myra Bueno Silva going for some takedowns. Instead, it was Holly Holmes holding her against the cage. Myra Bueno Silva hitting him with some big shots. It was pretty wild. Round two got going. Holly Holmes landed a takedown off the bat. Um, Myra Bueno Silva reversed thing, got a takedown. Eventually got on the feet, snapped on a nasty guillotine choke, and Holly Holmes tapped. Now, at the time, this was a good moment. It probably would have landed higher, but this was tainted as Myra Bueno Silva ended up having a failed drug test, and it turns out that she had used an illegal substance. I can't say for sure what substance it was, but nonetheless, it can't be that bad as she's fighting for the vacant Women's Bandweight Championship to kick off 2024. So, couldn't have been that bad, but at the same time, it was still uh, a bit of a taint. Taint on the win when you're getting a failed drug test after having a big win like that. Lands at 20. Holly Holmes has yet to fight since. Myra Bueno Silva fighting for the belt. It's crazy how it all works out. But yeah, drug test ends this, uh, or keeps this at 20. Moving into number 19, we have another women's main event. Was that our... Did we only have three women's main events this year? Wow, must have been a good year. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. We had four, by the way, but I'm just I'm just joking. We actually had five if you count pay-per-views. But anyways, moving into number 19, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield in the women's flyweight division. This was an interesting one. I won't lie. Um... Jessica Draj had recently fought at UFC 283, and Aaron Blanchfield was supposed to take on Talia Santos on this card. Talia pulled out. Jessica was like, okay, I just fought two weeks ago. Put me in this. It can't be that hard. Well, it turned out to be incorrect, as we learned that Aaron Blanchfield is oh so legit, as she dominated Jessica Andrade. And you know, it all started round one, as we, I compare to the Marabueno Silva fight, as we, Aaron had been known as a grappler, you know, she wasn't really known as a striker, and she took the fight to Jessica Andrade, outstruck her significantly 44 to 40, and then round two, Jessica started coming out with some heat, Aaron was like, I'm not going to play this day, took her down, put her in crucifix, Jessica tried to roll over, got caught with a rear naked choke, and that was night, night. Aaron Blanchfield would win this fight, and it would propel her into the top five of the division, which was pretty huge. Uh, she's now currently ranked number two, so um, pretty good, pretty good stuff from Aaron Blanchfield, man, you know, but Jessica Andrade, she had a very awkward 2023. I won't lie, though. Absolutely insane. Jessica Andrade had five fights in 2023. That is incredible. She did go two and three, got a finish three times, but did get one finish to end the year. So I guess she ended on a win. How about that? That's Aaron Blanchfield. She followed this up with a win over the woman she was supposed to fight, Talia Santos, in August. So Aaron Blanchfield is scheduled for big stuff in 2024. But as for this, you know, it wasn't bad, but 
just not as memorable. Not as memorable. Not a lot of people were watching this. I think the only reason I had it on is because I was about to go out for the night and needed something to pregame too. Let me tell you, pregame to a woman's fight. Yeah, it's it's it sucks and it's not as fun as it sounds. Anyways, moving us on. Number eight. A recent one that went down in the middleweight division between Andre Munez and uh, Brendan. Oh, no, not this one. I'm thinking of a different Allen fight. This was an old one. Number 18, Andre Munez and Brendan Allen. This went down earlier in the year, didn't it? I'm sorry, boys. I have my fights mixed up with Brendan Allen. Yes, this went down February 25th, 2023. At the UFC Apex, the original main event was supposed to be a light heavyweight bout between Nikita Kreloff and Ryan Spann. We soon found out as the card began, actually as the main card was about to come up, I believe, that that fight was canceled. Instead, this co-main event bout between Brendan Allen, who had been unranked, and Andre Munez, who was ranked in the bottom of the middleweight division, would instead be a three-round main event. And this certainly was a shocker. As Brendan Allen had uh, previously, you know, know, uh, Brendan Allen, he had had a decent, a decent run in the UFC. I mean, he he was on a little three-fight win streak, two rear naked chokeholds in there, had last fought in October of 2022, you know, it was like a five-month layoff. So he was ready to get back to it. But he was taking on Andre Munez, who had been on like a 12-fight win streak. He was 5-0 in the UFC, three arm bars. And we were expecting domination from Andre Munez. What instead we got was the rise of Brendan All-In-Allen. The main event started off pretty, pretty average. I'll say the first two rounds were were genuinely pretty, pretty average. It's, it was just striking back and forth. I mean, Andre shot for a takedown three times, got stuffed all of them. Brendan Allen reversed them. And then round three, you know, Brendan Allen landed takedown of his own, took the back, and with 35 seconds left in the fight, submitted Andre Munez, the submission specialist. I mean, Andre Munez has a ridiculous number of submissions on his resume. Let me actually, I definitely have it in my records. I know for a fact I have it in my records how many submissions he has. He has 15 submissions. Of his 23 career victories at the time. So, I mean, this was this was absolutely incredible um, that Brendan Allen was able to get it done. So, Brendan Allen stepped up big when he needed to. Landed at 18. I mean, it was pretty it was pretty average. I'm trying to guess it up. Wasn't too much. Andre would end the year kind of kind of poorly, but was able to sneak out with a win. That's Brendan Allen. We'll get to him in a second. He, he, actually, he actually turned his year completely around. Coming in at 17, we had another UFC Apex event, this time going down in April. I actually remember this. No one kicked me. No no one freaking say a thing. I was on my way to the bars when I watched this. I won't lie. I won't lie. I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you how it is. Okay, I don't go to the bars all the time. Okay, I just I happen to be going to a lot on Saturday nights. Main event, Sergey Pavlovich versus Curtis Blades in the men's heavyweight division. And um, you know what? This was a fun one. A fun one if you're a fan of quick finishes. Sergey Pavlovich, the heavyweight knockout king, had been taking on Curtis Blades, and this was a typical, typical Curtis Blades fight. You know, he gets a number one opportunity fight. He just needs to win one more, and he gets knocked out. It's happened three times now in his career. This was the third time. Sergey Pavlovich, you know, he stuffed one takedown from Curtis Blades. Curtis Blades shot one takedown, and the three minutes this fight lasted. Eventually, Sergey put on the pressure, knocks him out in three minutes, just as Pavlovich is done. You know what? It was over, just like that. You kind of went, wow, I expected that, but, you know, 
Nothing too much. It lands at 17 because it wasn't a spectacular finish. It wasn't, the crowd wasn't going crazy. It was at the apex. And you're kind of just like, not again, Curtis. Not again, Curtis. Curtis, you got to be kidding me. Coming in at number 16, we do have a women's fight. That's right. Heading into the top 15 almost. Coming in at 16. Uh, this was an apex event, if I, if I recall correctly. I believe it was. Yes, this was a UFC apex event. This went uh, down in uh, May. May it was. Uh, May 20th, UFC Apex. As Mackenzie Dern took on Angela Hill in the women's strawweight division. I was already kind of hesitant on this fight. I mean, I obviously knew what to expect. It'd probably be boring. Nothing would be going on much. But instead, what we got was an angry Mackenzie Dern. She had mentioned in the um, pre pre-lead up to this fight in her interviews that she had been going through a divorce. This time sucked. She was ready to channel all that energy into this fight. And by gosh darn it, she did absolutely destroyed Angela Hill. Had a knockdown. I think Mackenzie Dern's first knockdown of her career. Outstruck her 247 to 94. Also added in three of nine takedowns for 13 minutes of control time. But at the same time, Angela Hill was putting up a fight, you know, and, you know, she almost, I'd say she maybe won round four or round two, probably more round two looking at it. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty wild fight, pretty entertaining, one fight of the night honors, but at the same time, not that memorable. That's why it lands at 16. Coming in at 15, we have oh, one of my favorite fighters. He had, uh, this was his first main event of the year as we had Song Dog taking on Ricky Simone and this one this was back and forth matchup man I had Ricky Simone win in this fight even though I was a fan of Song Dong. uh but Ricky you know he was known for his takedown Song known for his striking and Song was able to defend all of Ricky's takedowns Ricky went two of nine for only 51 seconds of control time. Song Yedong kept it on the feet. Outstruck him 110 to 64. Almost finished the fight in the fourth round. Probably should have dropped him there. And in round five, dropped him with one punch, landed a few follow up, and that was that. I recall, I was watching this fight with my boys at the time, and everyone was like, oh, Song Yedong, he finished up, he finished up. And it was pretty fun at the moment. Most entertaining Song Yedong fight of the year of his two fights. And it's always nice when there's a finish and it's actually back and forth the whole time. So this lands at number 15 on the year. But I will say, you know, it still wasn't that memorable. It wasn't that memorable. Despite the song getting a performance, it wasn't that memorable. So from here up, these are probably more of the memorable ones, the better fights of the year. You could even say maybe after this fight. But I'll say starting with number 14 is where we start to get memorable. Number 14, a historic a UFC record-setting uh, main event as March 11th at the, where was it? It was in Las Vegas, but was that like the Virgin Hills Hotel? So I have no idea what they called it. They just called it UFC Las Vegas or something, not Vegas, whatever number. But uh, Marab Duevashelli took on Piotr Jan, and this was Marab's, you know, he had just beaten Jose Aldo, was looking for his big fight to enter the top five at men's bantamweight, and this was his opportunity to reach his currently number two spot as he beat Piotr Jan. Um, Piotr Jan, of course, been coming off a controversial loss to Sean O'Malley back in October, was looking to rebound. He did not, as Marab took him to the wrestle zone. Marab set a UFC record 49 takedown attempts. Went 11 of 49, just absolutely crazy. In round one, he shot eight. In round two, seven. In round three, 14. In round four, eight. And in round five, he shot 12. Only land 11, though. So, I mean, I do, I, I can't lie. Impressive defense from Piotr Jan. I, without a doubt, do recall this event as this, it was my mom's birthday weekend, and my grandpa came up, and we were all out and about. We went to the casino, we went to the 
Uh, we went to this place called Can Can Wonderland. It was fun. They had drinks. They had games like old school uh, pinball machines, like arcade games. It was pretty fun. I remember we went to the casino, and I'm just sitting at a machine watching this. Like, you know, this is kind of boring. But the reason it lands at 14 is because it was historic. Marab broke into the top five, set a record, and just dominated Purion. And neither man has fought in since. Uh, they both need to fight since. Purion, of course, has a fight booked. And so does Marab, both uh, with Henry Sudo and then with Song Yedong, respectfully. So it'll be interesting to see those two guys get back at it. But yeah, this was our number 14 fight of the year. Main event for Fight Nights. Coming in at 13... This was a quick one. I I, David, I don't even know where I was. Where was this? October 7th. I think I was actually home. Or maybe I was out with my parents or something. I wasn't able to catch this. But as Grant Dawson took on Bobby Green. And this one was pretty, pretty crazy. As uh, this was supposed to be a squash match. It was supposed to be a squash match. Uh, Grant Dawson was supposed to use this fight over Bobby Green to bump into the top 10 at men's lightweight. Instead, Bobby Green took the advantage of his opportunity, unranked at the time, came in and knocked him out in 33 seconds. Caught him with one punch to the head, dropped him, landed. I don't even know if he landed any follow-up punches, maybe one or two. Totals from the fight, only seven strikes landed for Bobby Green, one knockdown. I mean, the fight was over before it began. Uh, I had no time to even process it. Pretty pretty fun. I always, I always like fights like that. You just get a quick knockout, and you're just in shock. Now, this one, after watching the replay, I was like, dang, dang, that is... That is impressive. It didn't catch me off guard, though. I don't, I don't know how well I did on picks for this event. Uh, I think I got three. I think I got three. Went three at two for this event. But, uh, yeah, UFC Vegas, whatever, 80, 81, whatever it was. Bobby Green capitalized on his opportunity. He didn't end the year well, taking another short-notice fight that did not pay off well for him. But, uh, you know, that's just how it works out sometimes. That's just how it works out. But, yeah, good stuff from uh, Bobby Green, Grant Dawson. Good luck in 2024 rebounding. Moving into number 12. This was a fun one as Brendan Allen versus Paul Craig. This is the fight I stumbled on earlier uh, that I was thinking of. This was Brendan Allen's final main event. Second uh, second final fight, I should say. Second main event of 2023 as he was taking on Paul Craig, who had just picked up a win over Andre Munez, the man who Brendan Allen had beat earlier in the year. And this was supposed to be, you know, winner moves into the top 10 at middleweight, gets a big opportunity after this. Brendan Allen did not waste it. Absolutely ran through. Paul Craig dominated him in round one. Outstruck him 20-7. to seven, Took him down twice. Almost three minutes of control time. Round two. Didn't even land a takedown. Just wound up on top after Paul Craig failed a takedown. Had four minutes and 47 seconds of control time. Was hunting for some submissions. Paul Craig was trying to throw up some submissions. For round three. Gets on top of Paul Craig. Get, takes his back. Rear naked chokehold. Brendan Allen, ladies and gentlemen, is now ranked. What is he ranked now? Actually, I'll pull it up right now for you. It's now ranked number eight at men's middleweight after this huge main event win. It was actually pretty entertaining through three rounds. Brendan Allen actually had good top control. This did go down at the apex. You know how those apex events can be. They can be boring. But Brendan managed to keep it entertaining for me. I know some people don't like him because of his cockiness. I don't mind the guy. I find him entertaining. So uh, good stuff from Brendan all in now. And as for Paul Craig, it sucks to get submitted, especially to someone not as experienced as you. 
Heading into our number 11 spot, we have a middleweight matchup that went down July 1st. This was actually the first episode, or the first fight night we ever covered on the podcast. Holds a special place in the heart. Sean Strickland took on Abus Mago Medoff. And this was a bit of a comeback victory for Sean. Kicking off round one, Abus was out striking him 32-11. to 11. It was looking like he was going to finish him at times. Landing uh, one of two takedowns. Um, it was looking like it was going to be Abus all the way. Started to fade towards the end. Then round two, Sean Strickland comes out like a freaking, I don't even know, a bull. That just got a pin up its bum. I have no idea. Outstrikes him 70 to 15 in the four minutes and 20 seconds that round two lasted. Knocks him down. Finishes him. I mean, and this was the fight that he won to get his title shot. So this has aged pretty well, Abus. When uh, oh, of 2 in the year, pretty rough year for Abus. But as for main events, pretty entertaining um, little comeback win. I believe I was watching in the car ride with my girlfriend when this went down. So don't 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 go on your phone while you drive, kids. Let me just let me just say that bit of bit of advice from good old Zachary. But yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun. It was a uh, it was a fun one. Nice main event, and Sean Strickland stood tall in the end. And you know, like I mentioned, that's probably my fighter of the year, Sean Strickland. That's just how I see it. Headed into our top 10. Wow. Number 10 of the year. Our top 10 fight nights of the year. Main events, I should say. Not fight nights. Fight night main events of the year. Coming in at number 10, we have Kai Kara France versus Amir Al-Bazi. Um, currently, Amir Al-Bazi is ranked number 2. And Kai Kara France, number 4. This was Amir Al-Bazi's big jump into the top 5 of the flyweight division. And this was a close, close fight. Um, Amir Al-Bazi would win by split decision. Uh, controversial, of course. Let me read you the totals from the fight. Kai Kara France, significant strikes, 99 to 43. Total strikes, 133 to 64. Takedowns, Kai went 2 of 2 for 58 seconds of control time. Amir Al-Bazi, 1 of 9 for 6 minutes and 10 seconds of control time. Now, just from damage, though, just from, like... Punches that impact, though. It looked like Amir Al-Bazi was winning the fight. This was back and forth. This was actually competitive till the end of the bell. It was one of those where uh, it looked like both men had each one around, like where round five would be the determining factor. And being at the UFC Apex, I mean, it's tough to light the crowd on fire, especially through the TV. It's hard to really garner that attention. This fight did that. Super entertaining, and also it was the first flyweight main event since um what it what was it June or July of 2020 so history right there men's flyweight I should say um but yeah it was good to see these guys get the spotlight they both shined out and Amir Bazi will be taking on Brandon Moreno in Mexico City so this guy's looking up for Amir Bazi yes for Kaikara France I don't really know what they're gonna do with the kid I don't know what they're gonna do with him maybe a fight with gosh there really isn't any options for Kai Carfrance right now. Maybe a rematch with Brandon Ravel. I could get behind that. Brandon Ravel, of course, lost this weekend. <laughs> spoiler if you didn't know. It really is a spoiler. It's all over the internet. But, um, yeah. Maybe we run that fight back. But as for this main event, it's certainly... Uh, actually, you could run this fight back, man. This was That was a good fight. I was happy I got to see that. Kai Carfrance for Rubio Bazi, the number 10 fight night main event of the year. Heading to our top 10 at number 9, we get, or we had, I should say, was our UFC Noche main event, the women's flyweight title bout between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko, the rematch. And let me just tell you, it was a good rematch at that. Competitive till the very end. I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, I know some people didn't. I personally did. It was competitive. It was interactive. Where was I watching this at? 
Oh, I think I left the party early to come watch this, actually. Gosh, I'm so weird. Um, but yeah, you know, round one started off. Valentina looked like she was getting back to her ways. And round two, Alexa Grasso dropped Valentina with a punch. Looked like um, she was going to finish the fight. Valentina actually managed to reverse it, land a takedown, get three minutes of control time. I mean, this was just a chaotic fight. Round three, Valentina doing more grappling. Round four, though, Alexa keeping it on the feet, piecing her up. And round five, looked like Alexa Grasso was going to finish her at times. Valentina managed to do something good, but you know what? Grasso managed to retain her belt in a split decision draw. Well, some controversy about the judges' scorecards, but... I kind of understand it. Um, Alexa Grasso was so close to finishing Valentina in the final round. I'm pretty sure a lot of uh, other people could agree that it was. It could have warranted a 10-8. It was a very good night. UFC Noche. We'll talk about that when we rank all of our fight nights. But uh, man, that's just main event. You know, it was a good way to end the night. But the only reason it doesn't place any higher and could honestly be placed lower is because the draw really left a sour taste in everyone's mouth. No one likes a draw. No one likes a draw. They like a definitive answer to what's going to happen. They like to actually know who's the champion. And instead, we're going to go into 2024 wondering what happened to Valentina Shevchenko as she went 0-1-1 against Alexa Grasso in 2024. But good stuff for Alexa Grasso. I'm excited to see what the UFC does with her in 2024. Uh, let me actually blow my nose, guys. If you can't tell, uh, if there have been any gaps when you've been listening to it, I've been battling, uh, I've been coming off of my sickness. Of course, uh, last episode 49, if anyone listened, I was sounding a bit sick. My nose is kind of stuffy tonight. My cough is slowly going away, but when I talk this much, it really dries out the throat, really uh, gets, gets me kind of raspy. So uh, we'll blow the nose real quick, then get to number eight. Let me just tell you, like a good cure for uh, a raspy throat is uh, warm lemon water. Now, I won't lie, it's not good. I wouldn't say it's awful, but no, it's certainly not something I'd sip on all the time. But it's helping with the throat, and if anyone knows, or actually, I'll tell you now, I have horrible allergies. I actually have a deviated septum in my nose, so I'm just, like, destined to always have bad allergies until that's fixed. But um, I'm surprised uh, our number eight loser doesn't have bad allergies as Marvin Vittori and Jared Kanier lands at number eight on our list. And this was a historic fight night indeed as Jared Kanier set the middleweight significant strike record when he landed 241 one significant strikes on Marvin Vittori. Marvin actually did land 153, so credit to him. This was a crazy fight. I mean, Marvin was pretty much a punching bag for this whole fight, but what really made this a fight of the night, and I'd throw it in fight of the year cat category, was that Marvin just looked like he was out at times and then would come back and rock Jared Kander. I mean, Jared was even shooting for takedowns in the final round. I mean, this was crazy. Um, Jared's final uh, scorecard was 49-45, 49-45, and 48-46, so pretty close fight. I mean, round one, Marvin outstruck him, but then round two, Jared landed a crazy 82 significant strikes, 94 total strikes, all on the feet. I mean, Jesus, this was so fun. This was so entertaining. I don't know where I ranked this fight night in general. I mean, it wasn't necessarily a memorable fight night overall, but this this fight certainly, certainly, uh, was it, cut the cake, hit the bill, cut the bill, however the saying goes, but um, it cashed the check. I'll say that. Hey, cash the check. That's what we're going to phrase it as. Um, and also moved Jared Kanier to the number four spot in the rankings. Marvin Vittori still at five. Uh, rumored to be fighting Shara Magomedov, undefeated Russian prospect. Should be fun to see if he fights at UFC Saudi Arabia in the main event. As for Jared Kanier, I don't think he has anything booked at the moment. 
sadly. Uh, you could do him versus Paulo Costa, but now he's kind of in an awkward spot, you know, after he after he lost to Adesanya, you know, he's beaten Marvin, he's beaten Sean, but um, no one's really itching to give him a title shot. So probably one more fight for Jared, but this was this was certainly a fun main event. Coming in at lucky number seven is a man that you will see soon again in our list, but uh, his first fight of the year, uh, one of two, was uh, Max Holloway when he took on Arnold Allen at UFC Kansas City in Missouri on April 15th. This was this was competitive, and let me just say that adding a crowd to a Max Holloway fight makes it 100% better, and Arnold Allen came out, you know, he came out ready to do it. I mean, round one, though, Max was just clearly better. Uh, round two, though, Arnold kind of closing the striking total. All right, was kind of getting it close. Round three, Max pulled away. Round four, Max pulled away. And then Arnold Allen gave it all he had. Probably won the final round, or at least on my scorecard he did, against Max Holloway. It was fun. The crowd was into it. Arnold was going for stuff, but just a typical Max Holloway win. Totals from the fight, 147 significant strikes to 76. That's all you get. That's all the info you need to know. Good stuff from Max. Um, the Kansas City crowd really added to this. They actually added to the whole event overall. This was one of the better fight nights of the year. But, um, yeah, this was fun. It was enjoyable, and I love seeing Max Holloway fight. Moving into our number six. This is all the way up. I loved all these. You know, honestly, honestly, in the top ten, top eleven, I loved all these. But number six, this one. This one was one of my personal favorites. Cyril Gaon versus Sergey Spivak at UFC Paris on September 2nd. Uh, and the Paris crowd multiplied this so much. There's something about Cyril Gaon in Paris. When Cyril Gaon's not in Paris, all right, he's losing to John Jones. He's losing to Francis Ngannou. But when he's in Paris, he's knocking out Tai Tuivasa. And he's knocking out Sergey Spivak, which he knocked out uh, three minutes and 44 seconds into round number two. And this was just Cyril Gaon was coming off of a tough wrestling loss to John Jones. It just seemed like, you know, will he rebound like this? And Sergey Spivak, you know, as we mentioned earlier on in this ranking, he had dominated Derek Lewis with the grappling. So it was looking like it was going to be a squash match. Uh-uh, uh-uh-uh, Shogun came out ready to go. Totals from the first round, 51 significant strikes to seven. Totals from round two, leading up to the finish, 58 uh, significant strikes to four. I mean, Cyril God put it on Spivak. The crowd was going crazy. God was lighting up into him. And when they finally stopped it, the crowd went nuts. And it was the perfect cap on a crowd like this. I'd say... Paris is like London, is like Singapore, is like Austin, Texas. If you have any poor fights, all right, you can capitalize with a big main event. And none of those events I just listed even had really bad events. They were all bangers. And this one was just so much fun watching Cyril God win, getting a performance bonus, a redemption it felt like for Cyril God. And I was mad that Sergey Spivak had beaten Derek Lewis, so I was really rooting against him. But, oh, man, Cyril God, you gotta love the guy. He's so nice, too. He's so nice. He can be he can be kind of a nut sometimes, but as for this one, he was enjoyable to watch. Um Chogan, I'll give it to you. I don't know what's coming in 2024. Maybe fights with Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, who knows? But I'm excited to see where you go. Let's get into our top five. Ladies and gentlemen, we've crossed the hour mark a bit ago. By the way, if anyone listens on YouTube, I can't upload for free the videos or the audios, because on RSS Podcasting, it lets you upload free audios. They make it for you, make a little screen for you. Uh, not with my live face, but 
Um, so I don't upload any audios that are over two hours. I'm thinking that's going to be my 2024 goals to start maybe filming myself. We'll see, but, um, we'll see, we'll see what comes of that by the way. But, uh, yeah, that's just a little, uh, FYI. If anyone's curious why, Hey, why is episode 49 not on here, but 48, 47, 46 are, where's 44? Uh, I don't know if those are the exact numbers, but if anyone's curious, that is why. Checking in at our number five spot, the number five fight night main event of the year. Ia Topira versus Josh Emmett. And looking at what Josh Emmett just did, this was so, so impressive. Ia Topira beat him by unanimous decision. And this was a massacre. This was a massacre. This was, um. by the way, Ia nickname is the El Matador Topira. That's right. He's the bull tamer or whatever, you know, Matador. They fight the bulls. And, oh, my gosh, Josh was a bull in this one. And Ia freaking stabbed him to death. Domination from Ia Topira. Totals from the fight, 152 significant strikes to 87. A knockdown for Ia Topira. He even somehow landed three of three takedowns for, like, three minutes and 35 seconds control time. Don't even remember him landing takedowns in this fight. But, uh, man, Ia, it just felt like every time Ia Topira landed a somewhat decent punch, Josh Emmett got rocked. Josh Emmett got rocked, and he only got officially knocked down once. That was in round four, the most dominant round of the fight, a 10-8 for sure, maybe even a 10-7. And one of the judges' scorecards even had it 50-42. That's three 10-8 rounds in a fight for um, in favor of Ian Topira. Um, Josh Emmett won one round on Eric Cologne's scorecard. I have no idea, Eric Cologne, weird judge. But um, yeah, it was entertaining though. You know, Josh was bloody, still swinging. He even even connected with Ian Topira. I think that's what he was maybe shooting for some takedowns in the final round. But um, this would lead to Ian Topira getting a title shot. And this would lead to a lot of people doubting if Josh Emmett still had it in him. And by gosh darn it, he would go on to knock out Bryce Mitchell, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, so fun stuff in this one. I enjoyed this main event. It had me on the edge of my seat just going, yeah, yeah, which is uh, kind of funny to admit that you're just doing that in your room. But hey, when he get is fighting, you got to cheer a little loud for the kid. Coming in at number four, a recent one, December 2nd. I wish I could go back. I rewatched this fight night. This was just one of my favorite fight nights in all and overall. I mean, I'm not gonna spoil my list, but I'm sure you can kind of get the hint from what I just said. But this was so fun. Um, the main event itself, Armin Tzukrian, Benil Dariush, and unlike ones like Lewis and Spivak that ended quickly, unlike Rosenstruck Almeida, unlike Pavlovich Blades, this one was in. Hence, all right, the crowd was going nuts in San, or no, it was in Austin, Texas. Yeah, in Austin, Texas, as Benil Dariush came to the ring to take on Armin Tazukrian. All right, it had already been a crazy night. We just watched Jalen Turner knock out Bobby Green. The, the, the mood was high, all right? Everyone was expecting a five-round war. And Armin Ahakalats, weird nickname. Sorukian knocked out Benil Dariush in a minute and four seconds, and the crowd went crazy. We just watched Benil in June lose to Charles Oliveira by TKO, and Armin was like, let me one-up you, as he knocked him out. Cole hit him with a huge punch, came in with some follow-ups, and that was that a minute and four seconds. And Armin Tazukian went from the number eight lightweight in the world to the number four lightweight in the world and put himself in the title shot conversation. I mean, I was going absolutely nuts. Um, in my room alone, before going out for the evening, by the way, I mean, my roommate was just kind of being like, yeah, I don't really want to go out. We'll see what happens. We actually did have a fun night. But I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. Give me more. Give me war. I was all for it. But, yeah, good stuff from Armin Tsukrian. Vanille Dariush. 
I hate to say it, my friend. It, it may be time to retire. I don't know. I don't want to say so, but it's it's just it's how it goes. It's just how it goes. I'm sorry to say. Um, Armin, love ya. Benil, love ya. But Armin had to stand tall in this one. And with that, we're brought to our top three. Our top three. Wow, this has been going on for quite some time. Almost 45 minutes. Wow, I have no idea how I'm going to be able to talk about all the fight nights. How am I going to rank all my fight nights of the year? This is That's going to take me forever. But let's get into our top three. And this is pretty crazy. Of our top three, our number three is actually an Apex event. All right, the UFC Apex, which I, I would say doesn't have a crowd, but it's not like a huge crowd. There's like a couple people in there. They've got like 100, maybe, I don't even know if they got 100 people watching. But um, I watched this fight leaving my girlfriend's house, driving back home to Mankato. I wasn't, I was being safe. I was watching the road. This is one of the craziest, pardon me, the craziest, craziest fight nights, main events I've ever seen. This was absolutely wild. Absolutely wild. Sodik Yusuf versus Edson Barbosa at UFC Vegas. Ooh, what was it? 82, I believe it was. I think it was 82. No, it was 81, I think. UFC Vegas, 81. Of course, Sodik Yusuf, Edson Barbosa, just absolutely crazy. Let me read you the totals from the fight. Each man landed a knockdown, 178 significant strikes for Sodik, 164 for Edson, one takedown for Sodik, three for Edson. I mean... Edson Barbosa wins a unanimous decision, but this fight just had it all. Round one, Sodik comes out ready to kill, knocks down Edson, takes him down, outstrikes him 55 to 14, 10 aided him in round one, almost finished the fight so many times. No one had any idea how Edson survived. And then round two comes out, we're like, okay, Edson's barely going to make it a minute, right? Edson's done for. Think again. He was coming back, he was fighting better. Now, Sodik did outstrike him. But you were kind of going, okay, okay, maybe Edson still got it. Round three, Edson starts bringing the heat and lands a spinning back kick. Clips Sodik's head. Sodik stumbles, falls flat on his face. Edson goes in for the finish. Sodik crawls up. And it's just like round one again, except Edson's trying to finish Sodik. All right, and Noah's like, how is Sodik still standing? How is he still doing this? Makes it to round four. Sodik and Edson still swinging. Sodik almost drops him. Edson almost drops him. It was storybook. We get to round number five, and the same story goes. They were swinging. They were punching. They were kicking. Edson eventually was like, you know what? I can land takedowns. And Edson Barbosa, the known for his kickboxing. I mean, this guy never takes anyone else. Takes down Sonic three or four times. I mean, just to do it. Edson Barbosa wins the unanimous decision. I mean, this was just an incredible fight. It capped off a decent a decent Apex card, but I mean, uh, this just lit a fire under everyone. Lit a fire under me, that's for freaking sure. I was I was absolutely loving this. It was it was so much fun. It was just so much fun watching it. And I mean, it just had me on the edge of my seat. Um, it was sad. I picked Sonique. And this fight now was actually the first one where I ever went 0-5 on my main card predictions, which I just find... I just find that absolutely crazy. That's kind of depressing. I don't even want to touch on that. But this main event was absolutely fantastic. Lands at the number three spot. Shout out to Edson Barbosa. He still got it. And Sodique, my sweet boy, I know you'll be back. I got you, Sodique. I'm still a fan of you. Our number two, fight night, main event of the year. Drum roll, please. UFC London, which went down July 22nd in the United Kingdom as Tom Aspinall returned to take on Marcin Ty Bura. And this aged so well for Tom Aspinall, by the way. Just incredible. Returns. 
after tearing something in his knee a year before against Curtis Blades. I mean, he had been out for a year. Everyone was like, can Tom still get back to the way he was before, finishing everyone, getting it done, round one knockouts, and you know what? I think everyone's kind of in doubt. They're like, you know, Tom's got the crowd. I mean, this has been this had been a mediocre London event anyways. You know, it hadn't been that exciting. We had had a couple good prelims, you know, a couple good moments on the main card, but nothing really to talk about. I remember I was actually at an art museum with my girlfriend, and we got out to the car, and I was like, main event's starting. Let me watch on my phone before we drive away. She was like, okay. And I'm like, come on, Tom, you got this. And, you know, I'm pretty sure I had been two and I had only gotten one fight correct on the main card or maybe two I have no idea but it wasn't looking too hot for me and Tom Aspinall comes out to a London crowd chanting his name a nation behind him and you know it's good it's going back and forth with Marcin Tibera to start it going back and forth and a minute in drops Marcin with a straight punch drops him down lands some follow-up punches and in a minute and 13 seconds Tom Aspinall is back to his spot, knocks out Marcin Tibera, the crowd roars, the pop was insane, leaps on the cage, starts going crazy, hugs his dad, hugs his coach, hugs his team, it was absolutely nuts, I was loving it, Tom Aspinall, absolutely the man, what's his nickname, he doesn't have one, Tom the man Aspinall, I like it, and guess how Tom Aspinall would follow this up in November, he would win the interim heavyweight championship, so it aged so tremendously, sorry to Marcin, you had to be the, had to be the gatekeeper for Tom Aspinall, but hey, that's how it goes. You got a gifted opportunity here to move up, and you didn't take it. Tom Aspinall seizing his opportunity. It was so entertaining. It was so fun, and I just absolutely love this. And this was one of those knockouts. Like I said, the Sergey Pavlovich Curtis Blades, the Sean Strickland Abus Magomedov, the Lewis Spivak when it's at the apex. It's not as entertaining when you get a quick round one finish, and when you have a crowd like this and get a round one finish, it is absolutely entertaining. Love this fight. Love it for Tom. It just don't get much better than this, does it? It don't get much better than this. Oh wait, it does. As this was our number two fight night main event of the year, we still have number one. Our number one fight night main event of the year went down in Kalong, Singapore August 26, 2023 as Max Bless Holloway took on the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung one last time and this fight did not disappoint at all we thought hey this was just gonna be max holloway walking through the korean zombie just absolutely destroying him and guess what chan sung jung came to fight his um his nickname the korean zombie of course notable it's what he's known as and he walks out to the song zombie popular band he goes zombie 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 and as he's walking out, the crowd is singing it. I'm getting chills. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is about to go down. One last walk for the legend, Chan Sung Jung. And he goes to the ring, goes to the octagon, I should say, and gets ready to square off with Max Holloway. They aren't even booing Max. You know, they're, they like Max over there in Singapore, but they knew it had to be done. The bell rings, and these two went to work. Max was landed. Hurting Zombie. It was clear that Max still was landing more power for shots, taking it to Zombie. But Chan Sung Jung would not go away. He even shot for a takedown. He would land a big punch on Max Holloway. You kind of be like, okay. Round two, Max drops the Korean zombie, knocks him down. 
doesn't follow up. He's like, will Chan Sung Jung get up? He absolutely does. Gets back to his feet. And he lands a big shot that rocks Max Holloway. He blitzes him. He's trying to punch him. And Max just lands some more big ones on him. And then round three kicks off. And you can tell Chan Sung Jung had been hurt in round one and two. There was nothing left to do. And you want to talk about Custard. General Custard. The final stand. The final stand. One of the greatest battles in history for the United States. One last stand for the general. This was the zombie. Last stem. The bell rings and he just blitzes Max Holloway. He's throwing. He even clipped Max three times. But Max lands one big straight when Zombie misses. Drops him to the bat. The ref's seen enough. Chan Sung Jung knocked out cold in 23 seconds. Max Holloway wins to kick off round number three. And it was just absolutely so entertaining. I was going nuts. You felt good for Max. You felt, oh, you felt so sad for the zombie. But overall, you just felt straight up joy. Let me just say, and freaking Chan Sung Jung absorbed 73% of the shots to the head. That was pretty tough, but I mean, Max Holloway took it to him, added two more knockdowns to the so many he has in his career, and capped off a perfect 2023. To end it all out and to end his career, as he's leaving the octagon, puts his gloves down in the center, and the crowd is singing zombie. You know, zombie, as I mentioned, so loud. It sounded just like the song. They were singing it perfectly. It was storybook. It was amazing. You just can't write scenes better than that. And after having a pretty mid-main card, I mean, they had had five, what is it? They had had five or six. They had like... Five fights on the main card. They were all kind of boring. The prelims were way better. On the prelims, actually, there were one, two, three, four, five, five round one knockouts. You don't see that every day. But man, Max Holloway and Chan Sung Jung left it all out. And that was my number one fight night main event of the year. Absolutely loved it. An incredible career from Chan Sung Jung as I will send him off here. Amazing zombie and Max Big things to come in 2024. I don't know what we're going to do with Max Hallway. I don't know what we're going to do with him. You know, at Featherweight, you know, we'll mention Josh Emmett later, but he can fight Josh. Um, he can maybe fight uh, Brian Ortega if he beats Jair next year. I don't know. He can move up to 155, and the options are literally unlimited. Justin Gaethje, uh, Dustin Poirier. I mean, you got some fun options there. Michael Chandler will even just throw in just to give another option. But, yeah, I got to love Max Holloway. Uh, or actually even Aljamain Sterling if he moves up in weight, but love the loved all the fights in 2023. Some bad, some good. I honestly would say that even our worst one wasn't that bad. Wasn't that bad. You know, it was it was rough, but it wasn't that bad. I've seen worse. I've always seen worse. Adesanya, Yoel Romero, nothing, nothing on top. Actually, Nama Yunez versus uh, Esparza two at uh, UFC 274. That now that that was bad, but. Yeah, those are our all 29 UFC Fight Night main events ranked for 2023. Wow, I got I got to give the voice a break. All right, it's getting too dry. We're coughing too much. We need to give it a break. And then when I return, we're going to go over all the games from Week 15 of the NFL. We have 16 games to talk about, and that's before we even talk about UFC 296. This is your episode 50 special of the Surprise Jab Podcast. Okay, let's let's grind this out. Okay, I'm just realizing that, you know, it's I got a lot to talk about. I got a lot to talk about, and it's getting late. I'll tell you what else is getting late. The NFL season. My goodness, guys, we just wrapped up week 15. Only three more weeks left of the regular season, then we get to the playoffs. We'll actually be ending our NFL talk by uh, going over 
uh, the current playoff bracket as the NFL released it today. And I was like, it's pretty interesting. We should definitely talk about it. So without ado, let's dive into these past, this, these past, this past week's matchups. We kicked it off on Thursday Night Football and oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, just absolutely insane as the Las Vegas Raiders come back from their 3-0 week in week 14. In week 15, they blow out the Chargers 63-21. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. That's all it is. 63-21. I mean, we saw 70 points scored this year. We've seen 50 like twice. 63. Absolutely insane. I could not believe it. I was I was in shock, and I'll tell you what the Raiders are an embarrassment. Top fantasy performers for the I mean the, the the Raiders the Chargers are an embarrassment. That's what I meant to say. Chargers top fantasy performers: Joshua Palmer, wide receiver, twenty one point three. QB Easton Stick, seventeen, and Quinton Johnson got ten points, wide receiver. That guy is that guy's a piece of work. Let me tell you. Raiders, Aiden O'Connell, QB, drops 25.92 fantasy points. Raiders, D gets 25, and Devontae Adams, 24 points. I actually changed my pick last minute from uh, Raiders to Chargers, so that felt great. That felt wonderful, being, you know, getting that pick wrong. Amazing. Raiders, I mean, it just started bad, and it got worse ugly. The Raiders put up, gosh, I believe, I think it was seven first-half touchdowns. I think it was 42 rip at the half, or it might have been, yeah, it was 42 nothing at halftime, um, third quarter, uh, two more touchdowns from Devontae Adams and the Raiders defense. John Jenkins got a 44-yard fumble return. Uh, Chargers were able to get a touchdown. Chargers got two more in the fourth quarter, and the Raiders got another one to make it 63-21. to Just in, just insane. It's absolutely insane. The performances from the players, I mean, for the Chargers, Easton Stick, 257 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. It's not too bad of a stat sheet when you look at the score. It's pretty atrocious. Running backs, I mean, they had Spiller. He got most of the carries, had 50. Kelly had 22. Eckler, five rushes, nine yards. Just nothing. Josh Palmer, only good thing about this team, four catches, 113 yards, and a touchdown. That's all we'll talk about for them. Raiders offense, Aiden O'Connell, 248 yards, four touchdowns. How about that? Placing Jimmy Garoppolo well. Backup uh, running back, Zaheer White, 69 yards, one touchdown. Good for him. Bolden, two rushes, 25 yards, and a touchdown. Devontae Adams had eight catches for 101 yards, and a touchdown. And backup, uh, or tight end, I should say, uh, Michael Meyer, four catches, 39 yards, and a touchdown. How much of Kobe Myers, who started off the season so hot? Two catches, 32 yards, and a touchdown. Not too bad, but has really fallen off. I'll say that. He's really fallen off. It's been unfortunate to see, but I guess this is how it goes in the NFL. Chargers are now 5-9, and nine, fourth in the AFC West. They now have a minus 42-point differential. They're on a two-game losing streak. I mean, the season's over. You guys are tied for the second worst team in the AFC. I mean, it is ugh, just rough. Just rough going for the Chargers, man. I have no words, especially when you get blown out like that. Just disgusting. Next weekend, they'll take on the Bills. I don't see them winning that one either. Raiders third in the AFC West, I think. I think, if I'm not mistaken, they might still be in the playoff race, are they? Uh, no, they are not in the hunt anymore. So, Raiders, not going to make the playoffs this year. You know, you're 6-8. and eight. Best you can finish, 9-8. and eight. Who knows? Uh, minus 115-point differential. They re really fixed that with this 40-point win here. Big win for you. I mean, just... Just tough to see, you know, just tough to see, you know. I think next year the Raiders will be better. Going to need to make some changes in the front office, but this was a big pick-me-up, you know, to go from zero points one week to 63. That's got to be the biggest turn on NFL history. It has to be, right? 
That has to be the biggest turnaround, I'm assuming. Raiders next week will meet the Chiefs. I don't know how that will go, but I think if you guys take this momentum into next weekend, Raiders can do good. Best of luck, rest of the season, Raiders. The Vikings beat you. Suck it. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, there's no really way to turn this around, as the next game I'm talking about is the Vikings game, and in typical Vikings fashion, we lost a close game. Unreal. We choke a 17-3 lead to start the, uh, to start the fourth quarter. That was, that was sucky. Um, gosh, you know what? Oh, I have nothing to say, guys. It sucks. It really sucks. I mean, that, that's 27-24. to Vikings losing overtime. It just makes me sad. Jordan Asson, 29 fantasy points. Ty Chandler, 24 fantasy points. Absolute studs. Nick Mullins, 17.12. He could have done a bit better. T. Higgins, 22 fantasy points. Jake Browning, 18.96. How about that? And Joe Mixon, 15. How about that? None of these boys let me down. I'll tell you who let me down later uh, for fantasy-wise. But, yeah, I mean... First quarter, Vikings score on their opening drive. I think it was either 7-rip or 10-rip at halftime. Or maybe it was a 7-3 to three or something. I don't know. It was close heading into a, the third quarter. It was 7-3, to three, yeah. And then uh, third quarter, Jordan Hassan caught three 7-yard touchdown. Greg Joseph hit a field goal. And it was 17-3. And then T. Higgins caught a ridiculous, a ridiculous. Actually, no, the, this was his first touchdown. He caught his second was more ridiculous. T. Higgins caught a touchdown. Joe Mixon punched in a touchdown. Jordan Asson scored a touchdown, so then I'm like, okay, Vikings are up 24-17. to 17. This should be a GG. And with 39 seconds left, Higgins caught a ridiculous one-handed catch, put it in the end zone, and went to overtime. We had opportunities to score, and the Bengals just came away with it. Nothing to say except just some bad offensive play calling. I'll tell you, there was this one, there was this one play we could have hit a field goal to go up 10, and we decided to go for it. We freaking failed to get it on like fourth and one. We decided to do a QB sneak with Nick Mullins. It absolutely failed. We have Brandon Powell, who is nowhere near strong enough to be pushing a QB to do a tush push. Just ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous stuff, Vikings. It's just making me sad. Nick Mullins, 303 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. One of the picks was super weird. Other one is, uh, is uh, he's to blame for it. Ty, Ch- Ty Chandler, I mean, start him the rest of the year. He should be our running back next season. 23 rushes, 132 yards, and a touchdown. I'd love to see it. Justin Jefferson, seven catches, 84 yards. Jordan Asson, the stud of the day, six catches, 111 yards, two touchdowns. Actually, TJ Atkins, six catches, 63 yards. Not too shabby. Jake Browning throws for 324 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. We did get pick. Joe Mixon, 47 yards rushing and a touchdown. Uh, Teagans, four catches, 61 yards and two touchdowns. Jamar did have four catches for 64 yards, but left with an injury. Ooh, I don't know what's going to come of that. I don't know what's going to come of that, ladies and gentlemen. We'll have to see. Bengals with this win are now 8-6, and six, currently in the playoffs, as we'll look at that later. Minus four-point differential. Um, offense has done well. Defense lets up a lot. Three-game winning streak for them, though. Man, how about that? Bengals went from zero to hero thanks to Jake Browning. How about that, kid? The Vikings actually dropped him, so that's just even more sad. More sad for a Vikings fan. I can't believe this. I cannot believe this. Bengals take on the Steelers next week. They're probably moving to four straight victories for them. Gosh darn it. Just gosh darn it. That's all I can say. That's all I can say. Vikings are 7-7. Seven and seven. We're still in the playoffs. We're still in the playoffs. I mean, plus 21 point differential, 290 points for, 269 points against. Defense has been amazing this year. Offense just has not been it. Thankfully, the Packers lost this week, but, um, you know, we're, we got a got competition with the Saints now, competition with the Seahawks, the Rams. I mean, it's going to get hectic. Vikings, we really need to win some games. 
next week we play the Lions on Christmas Eve. Vikings do not let me down. I will probably cry at my family function if the Vikings lose again. Gosh darn it, Vikings. Gosh darn it. Mind you, I did not pick this game right. So I started out 0-2 for the week. It was a bad mood. But I'll tell you what did put me in a, in a somewhat good mood was the Colts beating the Steelers. Sorry, Seth. Hate to say that to you. Um, Colts beat the Steelers 30-13 after starting the game out 13-0. So, yeah, Steelers. Oh, boy, to be a Steelers fan. I'm so glad I am not. Top fantasy performers, Deontay Johnson, 16. Mitchell Drabinsky, 12. Jay Warren, 11.8. Gardner Minshew gets a 20.6 fantasy bomb for the QB. Indiana, 15 points for the defense. And uh, D. Montgomery, I don't know who that is, 12.8 fantasy points. Good win for the Colts. Um, Sorry, the game, I mean, yeah, starts out 13 rip. Then, um, and yeah, well, yeah, it was 13 rip heading into the second quarter, actually, where uh, Chris Boswell mixed an extra point. Actually, oh, he missed his first extra point attempt. Zach Moss and DJ Montgomery, wide receiver, would uh, get touchdowns. It'd be 14 13 in the halftime. Then a touchdown from Ole Cox and three field goals from Matt Gay the rest of the day would seal the win for the Colts. Matt Gay actually doing well for me. Thank you, Matt. Mitchell Trubisky, 169 yards, a touchdown and two picks. He actually, uh, I don't know if he got hurt or got benched. He might just got benched. Mason Rudolph came in, two for three for three yards. And uh, he's actually starting next weekend for the Steelers, so we'll see how that goes for him. Najee Harris, 12 carries for 33 yards. Warren, 10 carries for 40 yards. Trubisky ran in a touchdown. Deontay Johnson, only good thing, four catches, 62 yards, a touchdown. Man, Steelers' offense is atrocious. Defense was kind of lame. Actually, you know what? The defense forced a lot of field goals. Good for them. Gardner Minshew, 215 yards on 18 for 28 passing, three tutties. Um, running back Sermon, 17 rushes for 88 yards. How about that? Interesting. Pittman catches four passes for 78 yards. Zach Moss, three catches, 20 yards at tutty. And, of course, that wide receiver, DJ Montgomery, two catches, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Interesting stuff all around. Colts, 8-6 and six now, second in the AFC South. I believe they're in the playoffs. They have a plus one. Point differential. Good for you, Colts. Good for you. Still in the playoffs. AFC South has completely swapped around. Colts were supposed to be a nobody after Anthony Richardson went out. Gardner Minshew has the season turned around. Colts, though, next weekend will be having a meeting with the Falcons. Oh, my gosh. Another winnable game for them. How about that? As for their opponents, as for the Steelers, they are now 7-7. Seven and seven. Bottom of the AFC North, out of the playoffs. Season's got to be over. They have a minus, oh my gosh, what is it? A minus 57-point differential. Three-game losing streak. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of firings for the Steelers in the offseason. I have no idea what they're going to do. I have no idea what they're going to do. Just embarrassing stuff all around. I'm sorry. Sorry, Seth, my buddy. He's a huge Steelers fan. It's rough for you. They do play the Bengals next weekend. If you're going to win a game, it's a divisional game. But the Bengals are kind of hot. Our final game for Saturday, which was the 16th, yes. Um, the Lions hosted the Broncos, and the Lions beat the Broncos. Good win for the Lions, 42-17. to Russell Wilson dropped 17.52 points, Cortland Sutton 12, and L. Humphrey 10. How about that? 
Jared Goff goes off for 31 bombs, Sam Laporta 28, and Jameer Gibbs 24.8. Good stuff for the Lions. Started the game off hot. They even had three second quarter touchdowns. I mean, the freaking Broncos were able to get a touchdown in the third, touchdown in the fourth. But even after they got a touchdown, it was followed by another Lions touchdown. I mean, both times, just crazy stuff from the Lions. Sam Laporta catching tutties, Jameer Gibbs catching tutties. It was amazing if you're a Lions fan. Good rebound game for the Lions, honestly. Russell Wilson, 223 yards and a touchdown. Ran for a touchdown, too. Um, Javante Williams, 12 rushes for 30, 27 yards. Wow, nothing. Lions absolutely stunted them on offense. Jerry Judy, three catches, 74 yards. Cortland Sutton, five catches, 71 yards. Wide receiver Humphrey, three catches, 60 yards. Got the only catching tutty. Wow. Jared Goff, 278 yards, five touchdowns, 24 for 34 on completions. You'd think he's in the MVP race with this performance. David Montgomery, 17 rushes, 85 yards. Jameer Gibbs, 11 rushes, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Monroe St. Brown, seven catches for 112 yards and a touchdown. And Sam Laporta gets five catches for three touchdowns. He gets the hat trick. I freaking love Sam Laporta. My favorite draft pick of this year. Let me just tell you that. My favorite draft pick of this year. And in a league where I got eliminated. How about that? How about that? Shame. It's a shame. But Sam Laporta, I freaking love you, buddy. Um, the Broncos, 7-7, seven and seven, second in the AFC West. Just AFC's just too crowded to be 7-7. Seven and seven. I'm sorry, guys. Um, oh, still trying to fight back after that 50-point loss earlier in the year. Their point differential now sits at, if I can do math, 47. Minus 47. Minus 47 for the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're only a game behind the Texans, the Colts, the Bills, the Bengals, but I just don't see those teams losing out and the Broncos winning out. So, Broncos, I think you might just barely miss the playoffs. They'll play the Patriots next week, so, hey, wow, that's a winnable game. Now that I've looked at that, that's a very winnable game for the Broncos. Mr. Unlimited, Russell Wilson. The Lions, 10-4, and four, got a big win after, what were they on, a two-game losing streak or something? No, they beat the Saints, but I know they had lost a couple games in between there. Have a beautiful plus 51 point differential, 382 points put up. Got to love it, Lions. 10-4, and four, they are, wow, second best team in the NFC. You love to see it. Um, if they beat the Vikings, they will clinch the NFC North and without a doubt probably clinch a playoff. Actually, yeah, they'll clinch the North, which means they clinch a playoff spot. But if you're a Vikings fan, you're rooting for them to win. The Lions will visit the Vikings, and they will lose. As I'm, I'm going to say it right now, they're going to lose. We got this, Vikings. Come on. Beat the freaking Lions. Gosh darn it. What would win, a Lion or a Viking? All right, I'd take a Viking. We get an axe, right? A Lion rushes you. You get one big swing before it catches you right on the skull. It's done for. That's right. Vikings till I die. But when the Lions go to the playoffs, I'm actually going to cheer for them. Not really a Lions hater this year. Yeah, they're probably going to represent us, but, you know, still keeping that Vikings mentality. We're going to win the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? And uh, kicking us off on Sunday, was it? Was this our Sunday? Yeah, it was on Sunday. Wow. The Dolphins blow out the Jets 30 to nothing. I just, wow, the downfall of the Jets has been sad, but just absolutely hilarious, I must add. With no Tyreek Hill, by the way. With no Tyreek Hill. Top fantasy performer for the Jets, Garrett Wilson, 5.9 points. Wow. Jalen Warren, uh, Jalen Waddle for the Dolphins, 28.2 fantasy points. Miami defense, 22 points. Gotta love him. Raheem Mostert, 18.3. Very, very sexy performance from the Dolphins. I mean, touchdown in the first, two touchdowns in field goal in the second, field goal in the third, field goal in the fourth. That was it. Dolphins, all in a day's work. 
Trevor Simeon for the Jets, 110 yards, two picks. Uh, gets benched for, uh, actually, Zach Wilson got hurt, didn't he? Threw for 26 yards and got hurt, and then Simeon came in. Brees Hall rushed six times for 12 yards. Okay. Garrett Wilson, three catches, 29 yards. Yeah. Yikes, Jets offense. Yikes. Let's mention those Dolphins, though. Tua Tagovailoa, 224 yards and a touchdown, 21 of 24 completions. That is absolutely astounding. What is that, 7 out of 8? What is that? I don't know percentages. It's got to be like 90 or 80%. He mostered 42 yards rushing, two touchdowns. A Cheney, only 32 yards rushing. Jalen Waddle, eight catches, 142 yards and a touchdown. The tight end, Smith, huh, second on the team, four catches, 32 yards. Good for you, Smith. Good for you. Man, Dolphins, 10 and 4, 441 points for. That's the best offense in the league, isn't it? That's got to be the best offense in the league, right? Right? Yeah, they passed the Cowboys and the 49ers. Wow, Dolphins' best offense in the league. Uh, 294 points against two. Okay, it's not too bad. Haven't given up 300 yet. Um, Their point differential then stands at plus 147. Wow, plus 147. This Dolphins team is good, but they will be tested severely next week when they take on the Cowboys. Should be an interesting one there. They are at home. And the Cowboys have been historically bad on the road this season. Um, but yeah, Tyreek should be back. He, he was like posted memes about like how I feel with um, uh, the fantasy managers messaging him, messaging him, and it showed the guy from Tangled with all the swords were pointed at him. Thought it was pretty comical. Good stuff from uh, Tyreek Hill. Of course, Dolphins play Cowboys. We'll be rooting for you, Dolphins. I might actually pick you just to freaking do. Jets third in the AFC East. Second worst team in the AFC in general. One of the worst teams in the league. Um, they have a minus 86 point differential. Apparently, Aaron Rodgers might return in the season. I uh, I have no words. It's very depressing. It's very depressing. I just, yikes. Just brutal. Just brutal to be a Jets fan. They'll play the Commanders, though, so that'll be a. I have no idea how that game's going to go. I'm going Commanders. I don't actually know. Commanders are on a crazy losing streak. We're going to mention that in a minute. Um, but yeah, that's going to be an interesting game. Jets putting up a doozy this week. Couldn't be the Vikings. We at least score in our losses. We always score. Game of the week, honestly, the, from what I watched. Uh, oh my gosh, there's actually a bunch of games. This was one of the games of the week, if I'm being honest. This was an absolute banger. The Texans and the Titans. The Texans sneak out a win, 19-16 to in overtime. This was a fun one. Noah Brown for the Texans, 22 fantasy points. Devin Singletary on my bench for 21 points. I had Taiji Spears in instead of him. And if I would have had Devin Singletary in, I would have freaking won my game. Really is depressing to think about. Then the day, the good Lord says everything happens for a reason. Amen. Kicker Kai Fairbairn, 17 fantasy points. He carried for the Texans. Will Levis has 14.46, Tennessee defense with 12, and Traylon Burks 9.4 in the 19-16 loss for the Titans. I mean, yeah, first quarter, Will Levis runs in a tutty, then Elijah Molden catches a, oh, got a pick six. Um, so it was 14 to three at halftime. After two more Texans field goals in the third and into the fourth, it was 14 to nine. Nick Folk would make it uh, 17 to nine before a Noah Brown three-yard pass from Case Keenum and a Kyer Barron extra point would make it all tied up at 16. Kai Fairbairn to end overtime, a 54-yarder to end overtime. I mean, they went back and forth all of overtime. They went back and forth the final three minutes of the game. This was so entertaining. 
Um, man, it was just such good football, such good football, good defense, tough, good defensive game. This was a defensive game if I've ever seen one. And the Texans steal one on the road, man. It must have good for the Texans, man. I won't even lie, good for the freaking Texans. I feel good for them. Uh, Case Keenum, backup QB, 229 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. I love that boy. A former Vikings guy. Love him. Devin Singletary, yeah. 26 rushes, 121 yards. You were so good out there, Singletary, on my bench. Noah Brown, 8 catches, 82 yards, a touchdown. And Dalton Schultz, 4 catches, 58 yards. Good for those fellas. For the losing Texas, Will Levis, 199 yards, and a pick. He, I also think he got hurt to end the game. Tajay Spears had more uh, more yards than Derrick Henry. Nine rushes for 30 yards. Will Levis ran it, Tuddy. And Derrick Henry, 16 rushes for nine yards. That boy is so terrible. Traylon Burks, three catches, 62 yards. Led the day passing. My goodness. Or catching, I should say. Just, uh, just a pitiful performance from the Titans. And they looked so promising last week. But they were not. Minus 44-point differential now. They're 5-9. and nine, Bottom of the AFC South. Bottom of the freaking league in the AFC. Second worst team. It's, yeah. They play Seahawks next weekend. No shot. I picked the Titans. Let me just put that in. Let me just, actually, you know what? Let me pencil that in right now. Right now. Is that going down? When's that game going down? I think that's going down Christmas. Christmas Eve. Seahawks over the Titans. That's how, that's how mad I am about that game. Um, as for the Texans, you know, eight and six, third of the AFC South, try to get into the playoffs. They have worked their way up to a plus eleven point differential. How about that? No idea how this team's still doing it, but with the Jaguars receding, AFC South is wide open for grabs. I mean, this is incredible. Texans next weekend will meet the Browns. Ooh, that'll be a tough one. I'll be a tough one. We'll see how they do, but best of luck to the Titans, man. Good for you. If you can make the playoffs. Good for you. Case Keenum uh, will we'll probably start next weekend. I'm hearing rumors that C.J. Strode um, from a concussion will not be able to return. We will have to see what the front office decides. I, I hope he does. You know, I like C.J. Strode, Rookie of the Year, in my opinion. But um, it's up to staff. It's up to staff, man. What can you do? What can you do? Moving us along with our Sunday noon games, we have the Buccaneers beating the Packers 34-20. Oh, it just doesn't get more sweet than that. It just doesn't get more sweet than that. I love it. Baker Mayfield, 29 fantasy points. Just after I saw TikTok saying you shouldn't start Baker because he never gets fantasy points, he went off. Chris Godwin, 25 catches. So 25 catches. Hang on. 25 fantasy points. Rashad White, 21.9 fantasy points. Jordan Love, 17.46 for the Packers. Jalen Reed, 17.2. And D. Wicks, 15.2. Scoring-wise, I mean, this was back and forth down to the wire, but third quarter was really the deciding factor of the game when the Buccaneers scored two touchdowns, uh, back to the Packers one. And after Harrison Carlson uh, hit a field goal to um, early in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes uh, left in the game, I mean, the, the score was only 22 third, 20 to, what was it, 27, but... David Moore, 52-yard pass from Baker Mayfield would seal the deal, and the Bucks D would come up big. Good stuff, man. Good stuff from the Bucks. I always love watching the Packers lose. Baker throws 22 of 28 completions for 381 yards and four touchdowns. Wow. Rashad White, 21 rushes for 89 yards. My buddy actually had a bet. His uh, Rashad White's over-under for rushing yards was 99.5, and he almost got it on <laughs> like a final play of the game. Godwin, 10 catches, 155 yards. Mike Evans did catch four passes for 57 yards at a touchdown. And David Moore, wow, 
50-yard uh, bomb. 52-yard bomb, one of his two catches for 68 yards. And Rashad White, two catches, 50 yards, and a touchdown. Oh, and we'll mention the other guy who caught a touchdown, Keeft, one of the tight ends, his only catch of the game. No idea who that guy is. Jordan Love, 284 yards and two touchdowns. Gave an eight on the guy. That's a good stat line. Um, Aaron Jones returned, 13 rushes, 53 yards. Okay. Jay Wicks, six catches, 97 yards. Jalen Reed, six catches, 50 yards. And Kraft tight end, four catches, 57 for a touchdown. Man, what can I say, Packers? You're just not them. Minus one point differential, six and eight, third in the NFC North. You can say bye-bye to the playoffs if you're a Packers fan. Bye-bye, maybe next year. Maybe next year, Packers fans. <laughs> Two-game losing streak for the pack. No sympathy from a Vikings fan. That's right. Week 17, I'm coming for blood. All right, we're coming for blood. We're hunting the Packers, and we're stomping them out of existence. A little New Year's Day treat for you. Packers, next weekend, play the Panthers. Oh, I'm going to have to pick the Packers for that, aren't I? Gosh darn it. you got to be kidding me. I could either stay loyal to never picking the Packers, or I'd have to pick the Panthers. Oof decisions to be made ladies and gentlemen as for the bucks let's talk about them seven and seven now got a plus six point differential three game win streak are now the number one team of the nfc south despite being tied for the record for uh, record wise with the saints when it comes down to a tiebreaker you have to remember that the buccaneers beat the saints in week number four, which is very fascinating, and actually crazy enough, they'll play on New Year's Eve. So we'll have to see how that game goes. But as of right now, Buccaneers are your NFC South leader. Good for them, man. Good for them. It's going to probably come down to them and the Saints as it looks like the Falcons are fading. Actually, can the Falcons even win? Actually, yep. Falcons could technically win the division. Crazy enough. Next weekend. Next weekend, who do the... um? Who do they play? The Buccaneers play the Jaguars. Ooh, that should be a close matchup. They are at home, though, so they got the advantage. I'll have to see who I predict for that. I don't know if I'm going to do a prediction show this um, Thursday, ladies and gentlemen, but because um, I'm going to be talking about football with Ryan a lot. We'll probably be doing picks for uh, probably the Christmas Eve and Christmas, or probably for the Christmas Day games, maybe, or Christmas Eve games. I don't know. It's going to be tough. But I might do games for, uh, they're doing some Saturday games and some Sunday games. So I might do my own picks, and then I'll just go over them with Ryan. And we can basically just go over the weeks again, and probably for the rest of the season. So who cares? Who knows? It's all good and fun here on the Surprise Jeff Podcast. Moving along, we had the Giants visiting the Saints. And lo and behold, the Saints won 24-6. Good job, Saints. Good job, Saints. I know I love Tommy DeVito, but I knew he wasn't going to win. Um, Tommy Vito got 10 fantasy points. Darius Slayton, 10. Darren Waller, 8. What? I thought Darren Waller was out for the year. I'm sure I dropped him in every single one of my leagues. Huh. How about that? But I'm actually okay with my 10 ends at the moment. Derek Carr drops a 20-point fantasy bomb. Alvin Kamara, 16. And the New Orleans defense, 14. Rashid Shaheed and Taysom Bill, both in my starting lineup, putting up less than 7 points. I just love fantasy football. Um, the Giants had two first half field goals and the Saints got a touchdown in the first, um, but so it was seven, six at half. And then literally the Giants did nothing. Giants did nothing the entire second half. I mean, two touchdown passes from Derek Carr, a 50 yarder from Blake Grupp, a field goal. And, um, yeah, that would do it for you. Tommy DeVito, 177 yards. Tyrod Taylor actually came in for 13 yards. Did something happen to Tommy? What the heck? Saquon rushed nine times for 14 yards. Wow, Darius Slayton, four catches, 63 yards. Darren Waller, four catches, four yards. Yeah, nothing from the Giants. 
Derek Carr, 218 yards, three touchdowns, 23 of 28 completions, not too shabby. Kamara rushed 16 times for 66 yards, five catches for 44 yards. And Juwan Johnson, two catches, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Good job for the Saints. Saints now sitting at 7-7 seven and seven with a, what the heck, a plus 42 point differential. When did the Saints get a good point differential like that? That's, that's kind of odd to me. Uh, NFC South, up for grabs between those two. Uh, both tied at the top. Bucks are ahead of them because of the game tiebreaker. They lost to them on my birthday. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Saints uh, hang on for the final three games of the year. Saints will meet the Rams Ooh, on Saturday. Mm. I don't know what to go with in that one, boys. I might have to go with the Rams, just the way both offenses have been playing. Rams offense has been looking better. So, at the moment, we'll pencil in a Rams win, but that could always change by the time we talk about picks Thursday. Actually, are we getting a Thursday game are we getting a game thursday i don't actually know i'll have to let me double check fantasy football app right now i i don't i don't know for sure um ba -ba -ba -ba. wow we do get a thursday game so yes we will need to put out a freaking episode of course we will moving on to the not the saints the who's the terrible team they played the giants giants are five and nine 189 points for wow they still are yet to break 200 338 points against Terrible defense. Offense has its moments. Uh, yeah, season's over for the Giants. No idea what they're going to do with their team. Might have to look at a new QB. I don't know. Might have to trade Saquon Barkley. I have no idea what to do with this team, guys. Um, thankfully for them, the Commanders are just having worse defense. So they're not at the bottom yet. Giants next week will meet the Eagles. Okay, let me just type. We're going to get to the Eagles later. But I'll tell you right freaking now, there's just no way the Eagles lose to the Giants. I will I will slam an entire thing of eggnog if that happens. My goodness, that is not happening. Let's keep this rolling along. Oh my gosh, almost at the two-hour mark of this podcast, which honestly is kind of fun. But that means I can't upload it for my YouTube listeners. I should probably put an exclaimer on the social medias. Uh, another, another NFC South matchup here as the Panthers beat the Falcons 9-7. to Panthers get their second win. Of the season. Atrocious. Atrocious. I cannot believe this. Falcons, Joe New Smith, eight fantasy points. Atlanta defense, eight. Panthers, Chubba Hubbard had 12. Hedy Pinheiro, nine. Panthers defense, nine. Oh, just a terrible game. Tickets for this game were like 45 cents before taxes. Incredible. Um, a touchdown from the Eagles in the second. Field goal in the second quarter for the Panthers. It was seven to three at halftime. And then two field goals. In the third, and in the fourth, including one with time expiring from Eddie Padero for the Panthers to win their second game. Panthers have now won two games thanks to a game-winning field goal from Eddie Panero. Shout out to Eddie Panero, former Bears kicker. Falcons man Desmond Ritter, 152 yards, touchdown and a pick. Atrocious. Tyler Ajir ran 14 times for 45 yards. Bishon Robinson, seven carries for 11 yards. They did not give him the ball. Kyle Pitts, three catches, 37 yards. Jonu Smith, two catches, 61 yards. Nothing to say there. Bryce Young, 167 yards. That's freaking it. Chubb Hubbard rushed for 87 yards. Am Thielen got four passes for 43 yards. I mean, this team did freaking butt F all. My goodness, just nothing. Pardon my French. Falcons are now 6-8. Minus 20 point differential, two-game losing streak. Yeah, this Falcons team is not winning the NFC South. I just, I just do not see that occurring. There's just no way that they win the NFC South. I just, you know, they play the Colts next week. They are at home, but... I just cannot give them a win. I got to go with the Colts. Colts have been on a heater. Falcons have just... You no, know, the Falcons have been better at home. 
But I mean, if the Vikings can score straight home, Colts can score straight home. So, Falcons, I'm not giving you a chance next week. As for the Panthers, I mean, you finally crossed the, crossed the 200 point mark. They have 206 points for them now, 348 points against. Not a good offense, not a good defense. But somehow, somehow in the universe, there's a way the Panthers could not finish as the worst team in the league. I don't think they will. They'll probably lose out. They're 2 and 12. Um, but yeah. We'll see what happens. I'm debating picking them over the Packers. We'll have to see. But, uh, man, Panthers are just... Panthers are something. I don't think Bryce Young's the answer. They'll probably give him another year, but yikes. Just yikes all around. Fun game came up next as the Bears went to Cleveland and choked another lead. 17-20, to the Browns win a thriller in Cleveland. Chicago defense 15 points, Cole Komet 13.3, and Rashawn Johnson 10. David Njoku drops an outstanding 26 fantasy points, Mari Cooper 20, and Joe Flacco 16.86. How about that, Joe? Getting some fantasy points in you. No scoring in the first before both teams caught touchdowns, both to their tight ends in the second quarter. A touchdown and a field goal from the Bears had them up 17-7, heading into the fourth quarter, and in typical Bears fashion, they give up 13 unanswered points to lose 20-17. Incredible. Dustin Hopkins, 32-yard uh, field goal as time expired. or a 30, I think the field goal was like, I don't even know how long, but it was with 32 seconds left, actually. And a Hail Mary. To end the game, Justin Fields actually threw a dot of a Hail Mary. I'll give you that, Justin. I'll give you that. And uh, Darnell Mooney dropped it. Dropped it in the end zone, and it was picked off. Incredible stuff, dropping a Hail Mary. I love it. I love the drama. To be a Bears fan could never be me. My cousin is. It'll be interesting to hear his perspective since we spoke before the season, and now we're speaking towards the end. Justin Fields, 108, 100, 180 yards. Nope, 166 yards on 19 of 40 completions. Oh, that's so bad. One touchdown, two picks. I'll only say one of those was his fault. Um, Justin Fields rushed seven times for 30 yards. I mean, no, not, there's just nothing to talk about. Deontay Foreman actually started in my one fantasy league. I have a bye week on just to do it. He was projected like 10 points, and he had six carries for negative six yards. I find that hilarious. DJ Moore, four catches, 52 yards. Only good thing about this Bears offense. Cole Komet, five catches, 23 yards, and a touchdown. I stand corrected. I like Cole Komet, too. Justin Fields, I don't know. As for the Browns, Joe Flacco, 28 of 44, 374 yards, two touchdowns, three picks. I mean, he was getting after it through the air. Jerome Ford, only eight carries for 20 yards. David Njoku, 10 catches, 104 yards, and a touchdown. He had the best game of his career. I don't think that's true, but an amazing game. Amari Cooper, four catches, 109 yards, and a touchdown. I was having it, Browns. You were looking looking mighty fine. Threw in a 52-yard touchdown pass to Amari Cooper to frickin', um Put them only down, uh, actually, to tie the game, I think it was. Yeah, to tie the game. That was incredible. Um, the Bears, 5-9, and nine, bottom of the NFC North. Minus, gosh, what is this? Uh, minus 42-point differential. One lost streak. I mean, it's just, it's tough, Bears. I won't lie. I kind of feel bad for the Bears. You know, my whole family's Bears fans. You know, they're kind of my backup team. I don't really hate the Bears, if I'm being honest. I only really hate the Packers. Um... So, yeah, sorry, Bears fans. Just a rough one this week. The season's been rough. Some good. As you beat the Vikings, I'll give you that. But uh, you play the Cardinals next week. Gosh, I have no idea what I'm going to pick for that. Oh, gosh darn it. I actually might be picking the Bears next week. How about that, Bears fans? I might be rooting for you next week. 
The Browns heading to the AFC, the number two team in the AFC North, the best fifth seed. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, you got the Eagles and the Cowboys, and they'll be playing to see who gets the fifth seed. I should say the fifth seed. And, of course, the fifth seed is always you didn't win your division, but you managed to get into the playoffs because you're that good. You were the best wild card team. And the Browns are that team. They're 9-5, and two-game win streak. Got a little plus-20 point differential. I'm happy what I've seen from the Browns. I like it. I like it, Cleveland. I like what I've been seeing from you guys this year. I don't know if this is your year because of the QB situation, but your defense is great. Wide receivers don't look too bad. Tight ends are good. Running back room ain't too shabby. And you'll get Nick Chubb next year. If you can find a really solid QB that's not Deshaun Watson, Joe Flacco's better than Deshaun Watson, for goodness sake. You guys will be in good hands. And um, probably going to clutch a playoff spot, if I'm being honest. They're probably going to get a playoff spot. Of course, as we uh, as we mentioned, the Browns will be playing the... I like how I write stuff, and I can't read my own writing. They'll be playing the Texans. I don't know who to go for that one. I'm probably leaning the Browns, but they are on the road. It'll be interesting to see. As for now, Browns, Keep your uh, take your win, take your win, and hold it very dear. Playoff race is heating up. Getting into another game. Gosh, how many more games do we have? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, we got a couple to get through. Chiefs beat the Patriots twenty-seven to seventeen in Foxborough. To honestly, no one's surprised. No one was surprised at this. She Rice, absolute stud for the fantasy team, wide receiver for the Chiefs, twenty-four fantasy points. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, twenty fantasy points. Jarek McKinnon, sixteen point sixteen. How about that? Hunter Henry, the best thing about this uh, Patriots team, nineteen point six fantasy points. How about that? How about that boy? Um. Uh, first quarter, she Rice got a tutty from Jarek McKinnon. I forgot. They ran a trick play and Jarek McKinnon threw a touchdown. Uh, Hunter Henry got a touchdown, and it was actually 14-10 to 10 at half. After a uh, perfect 13-0 uh, and 0 for third quarter, all, uh, all scores going to the Chiefs. The uh, Patriots were able to score in the fourth to make it 27-17, and then nothing else happened. Just squat all. Chiefs D came up big. And uh, Patriots, he wasn't doing too shabby. Mahomes, 305 yards, two touchdowns, two picks, though. Mahomes picked off twice. Incredible. Clyde Edwards-Alaire leads the day rushing for 37 yards on 13 attempts. Rasheed Rice, nine catches, 91 yards for a touchdown. Travis Kelsey, only five catches for 28 yards in Immaculate. Just Immaculate, that's all I'm going to say. And we'll give Clyde Edwards-Alaire a shout-out. Four catches, 64 yards, and a touchdown. I love, I love to see it. I really do. Bailey Zappi, 180 yards, touchdown and a pick. Ezekiel Elliott rushed 11 times for 25 yards. Uh, Hunter Henry, 7 catches, 66 yards and a touchdown. He's the only good to point out. And Mike Kosicki caught a pass in this game. Mike Kosicki hasn't gotten a pass in a Patriots game for a while now. Chiefs are now 9-5, and five, staking their claim atop the AFC West. Not clinched yet, but it's leaning in the right direction. They have a beautiful, oh my gosh, what is my, let me do some quick math. They have a beautiful 74-point differential. Wow. Amazing, amazing Patriots. 74, I love it. Um, good win for the Chiefs, snap their little losing streak they had been on. Um, this guy's looking up for the Chiefs, man. This guy is looking up. They'll play the Raiders next week. Um, I'm picking the Chiefs. You know, I, they're nine and five. That's been nine correct Chiefs picks, five incorrect. Statistically, I'm gonna ride with the Chiefs. And didn't they already play this year? Did the Raiders actually win that game? I know the I know the Chiefs lost to the Broncos, but uh, they beat the Raiders 31 to 17 on the road. Okay. Yeah, we're definitely picking the Chiefs for that game. As for the Patriots, oh my gosh, what's there to say? 
What's there to say about this Patriots team? Bill Belichick's getting fired. Every QB's getting fired. I mean, they have 186 points for. This is the worst offense in the freaking league. 299 points against. Defense isn't awful. Defense is better than the offense, easily. Um, 3-11, and 11, though. You guys might get the number one pick. If the Panthers win two more games and you lose out, they could get the number one pick. I find that crazy. Maybe Robert Kraft is secretly saying, hey, Patriots, you should kind of should choke. They play the Broncos next week, but there's just something about that game, guys. Something about that game that's, I don't know. I'll, I'll, put, I'll put a pencil in Broncos pick right now, but um, I might change it. None of my picks are official yet, okay? It's going to be an interesting, interesting uh, way to round out the uh, rest of the season. Keeping our uh, 3.30 game, uh, or getting into our 3.30 games, the 49ers went into the Cardinal Stadium and beat them 45-29. to 29. <sighs> Yeah. 49ers are a wagon. 49ers are a freaking wagon. And there was a time they were on a five-game losing streak. They're now on a six-game winning streak. Amazing stuff from the 49ers. Christian McCaffrey, 41.7 fantasy points. He helped me in one league. He screwed me in the other. You can't win in everything, children. Brock Purdy, 25.68 fantasy points. He's in the he's in the MVP conversation. Debo dropped a 21.9 bomb, and that's odd for him after he got back-to-back 30 weeks the last two weeks. Incredible. Trey McBride, 20 fantasy points for the Cardinals. James Carr, 17. Not too bad from those two. I mean, just scoring galore. I mean, you got touchdowns up until the 47-second mark when Kyler Murray was throwing a touchdown to Elijah Higgins. Okay, Debo was catching passes in the fourth, but Caffrey got multiple touchdowns. I mean, this was just a scoring fest. Nice treat for this uh, Cardinals um, crowd. You know, it's tough watching your team. They really sucked this year. But, hey, when it's 45-29, to 29, both teams are scoring. Makes it exciting. Brock Purdy, 242 yards, four touchdowns, 16 out of 25 completions. They even brought in Sam Darnold to end the game because they are like, eh, Brock don't need to play anymore. Christian McCaffrey, 18 rushes, 115 yards and a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey, five catches, 72 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, a hat trick for him. He is just, he is a generational talent. I love Christian McCaffrey. Debo, four catches, 48 yards, two touchdowns. And George Kittle, two catches for 54 yards. This this 49ers offense is so good. So freaking good. Their defense is equally as good. Kyler Murray, 211 points. Uh, 211 points. 211 yards. A touchdown. Two picks. James Conner rushed for 86 yards and a touchdown. And DeMarcado, four rushes for 64 yards and a touchdown. He worked with what he got. Trey McBide, best wide receiver. 10 catches, 102 yards. Cardinals, 3-11. and 11. Got a minus 117, I believe, a 117-point differential. It's not good. It's not good. One of the one of the worst teams in the NFC. The second, second worst team in the NFC. Worst team in the NFC West. Season's over. I don't know what moves they're going to make in the offseason. I hear, I've been hearing they might try and target Marvin Harrison Jr. I've been hearing that might be the move. But, um, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do. They play the Bears next weekend. A little torn on that matchup. I don't know who I'm going to go with at the moment, but we'll see what happens. But putting up 29 points on the 49ers ain't too bad, even in garbage time. That looks good. 49ers, though, 11-3. Six-game win streak. You have a plus, a plus 100 in 91 point differential, plus 191. They if they outscore their next opponent by nine points, they'll have a plus 200 point differential. That's insane. That's absolutely insane. This 49ers team is just absolutely amazing. You got Chris McCaffrey, 
and Brock Purdy are in the MVP race. Nick Bosa is just unstoppable on the edge. The defense is great. The offense is great. I mean, this offense has put up 425 points, and when you're scoring as much as this team is, defense, 234 points allowed, I don't think that's that bad. I don't think that's that bad at all. 234 points allowed. Is there a better defense in the NFC? No, they have the best defense in the NFC. As for the AFC, there actually is a better team, the best defense in the league points-wise. We'll talk about them later on because that's going to be interesting. And that's the Ravens defense. As the Ravens will play the 49ers as the final Christmas Day game. Final Christmas Day games, by the way, in my family picks league, Christmas game days. Christmas Day games, if I can't speak, are worth triple points. So those are going to be crucial to get correct. But um, yeah, good stuff from the 49ers. It's hard to pick against them the rest of the way. Keeping us moving as, gosh, we are... This could be my first ever three-hour pod, and it's not even with a guest. Wow. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, Commanders lose to the Rams 28-20 in Los Angeles. Good win for the Rams. Terry McLaurin, 26 fantasy points. Finally got something going for his uh, tenure, if you want to say it like that. Curtis Samuel, 21. And Jacoby Brissett, 13.86. Cooper Krupp drops a 25-point fantasy bomb. I loved it, even though I lost. Kyron Williams, 24.5 points. I loved it, even though I lost. And Matt Stafford, 18.52. I love it because I'm currently up. Good stuff, Rams. Um, What can I say? Back and forth scoring. I won't lie, though. I won't lie though, you know, the Rams were kind of running away with it. It was kind of it was kind of getting out of control and it was um 28 to 7 with 7 minutes left and then at the final 7 minutes the Commanders managed to score 13 points um but can't get the ball back. Rams hold on, get the win. That's the name of the game. Sam Howell, 102 yards, touchdown and a pick. He went out of the game. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, 124 yards, two touchdowns for him. Sam Howell just looks a bit inexperienced out there, man. His little hot streak ended after their break. Uh, running back Rodriguez Jr., 10 rushes, 35 yards, led the day. But scary Terry McLaurin, six catches, 140 yards, and a touchdown was great. And Curtis Samuel, five catches, 41 yards for two touchdowns, was also immaculate. Matt Stafford, though, looking back to his old ways, 25 of 33 completions for 258 yards and two touchdowns. Kyrene freaking Williams, I mean, this guy's a stud. 27 rushes, 152 yards, and a touchdown. Amazing. And Cooper Cup, finally looking like last season, or the season before, whenever he won MVP, or should have won MVP. Um, eight catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. He's just a stud. Rams, 7-7. Seven and seven. They might be in the playoffs. We'll have to check uh, the current NFL playoff bracket, but they've rebounded their season, um, plus a 17-point differential. Like what I see on the offense, like what I see on the defense. Kyron Williams, Cooper Cup, Puka Nakua, I mean, Demarcus Robinson, I mean, Matthew Stafford. This is a great offense. Uh, not really, Aaron Donald's a heavy hitter on the defense, but other than that, not too many people. You know, Rams could maybe sneak into the playoffs. We'll see what they offer uh, next week. They do play the Saints on Thursday Night Football, leaning towards the Rams in that game. We'll see what occurs. As for the Commanders, 4 and 10. Worst defense in the league, 423 points allowed. 423 points allowed. That is so bad. That is so freaking bad. That is that is at least like, I don't even, I think it's like 60 or 70 points more than the next defense. Five-game losing streak. And this right, the Commanders might get the number one pick. I, I have no words for that. Commanders, next weekend, we'll meet the Jets. So at the same time, I just don't know who to pick for that. Going to be a... 
going to be an interesting one, to say the least. The, the, the commanders might make the Jets' offense look actually good. That's pretty funny. Shocking result, even though I predicted it correctly, as the Bills beat the Cowboys 31-10. to C.D. Lamb got 18.6, Jake Ferguson 10.4, Tony Pollard only 7.7. James Cook cooked everyone. He was cooking, not Dalvin Cook, the younger one, the James, the Jamothy Cook. Oh my goodness, he was working it. 36 fantasy points, I'm glad I didn't play him. Josh Allen, 16.16, and Buffalo D, 11. Dak Prescott, you absolutely screwed me over. I mean, this was just a blowout from the beginning. It was 21 to 3 and a half. Then it was 21 to 24, or uh, it was 24 to 3, my bad. 31 to 3. And then with under three minutes, C.D. Lamb managed to sneak in the touchdown. So the Cowboys at least could say they scored a touchdown. But this was Bill's Mafia all day. Dak Prescott losing me. Losing my matchup against my dad. It was atrocious. 134 yards and an interception. I don't know what he was doing this game. Tony Pollard only 52 yards rushing. C.D. Lamb only good thing. Seven catches, 53 yards, and ran in a touchdown. That's all you can say. Josh Allen didn't do anything. At all. 7 of 15, 94 yards, and a touchdown. He threw that touchdown to uh, James Cook, actually. So uh, this was a running game. This was the Bills running it. James Cook, 25 carries for 179 yards and a touchdown. Tavis Murray even got five carries and punched in a touchdown. Name of the game for him this whole game. Stefan Diggs, only four catches, 48 yards. I mean, Josh Allen only threw the ball 15 times. Okay, that's that's insane. That's insane, bud. They're dealing with weather conditions in Buffalo. Sometimes you gotta go through with that. Bills now eight and six aren't even in the playoffs. They aren't even in the playoffs. We'll look at the playoff bracket. I was able to see it. They aren't in the playoffs, but they're hunting. I think they're better than the majority of teams. They have a beautiful one hundred and twenty-five point differential plus plus right there. Two game win streak. This Bills season appears to be turning around. Been liking what I'm seeing with them. Uh, they are yet. Yet to have not clinched the AFC East. The Dolphins do need to win just uh, one more game. So we'll see what happens. But next weekend, the Bills will meet the Chargers. And that should certainly mean a Bills victory. But, you know, the Bills, they've been hit or miss all year. Eight and six. We'll see what happens with them. As for the Cowboys, you know, just another hit or miss team, you know. They're still leading the NFC East, 10-4, um, 431 points for, 264 points against. Was that a plus 100? Oh, math is, math is difficult. Math is clearly difficult. Plus 167 point differential. They've been looking decent, but they lose randomly to the Bills. They lose randomly to the... Uh, Cardinals, they lose randomly to 49ers. Yeah, Cowboys just lose games out of nowhere. Um, but you know what? They're still pretty good. I think this might have just been a doozy of a week. I think everyone just kind of knew the Bills were going to win this for some reason. I don't know why. They do play the Dolphins next weekend, and oof, I don't know who I'm going to pick for that. I don't know who I'm going to pick for that, but Cowboys 10-4. and four, You're going to make the playoffs. Nonetheless, it'd be nice to win the NFC East, though. Keeping us rolling, we had our Thursday, never mind our Sunday night football game. Do I even know what day of the week it is? Huh? Is that just how combobulated I am with the holiday season? I don't even know what time of, time of year it is, time of day it is. Um, Ravens blow out the Jaguars 23-7 to in Jacksonville. Yeah, Jaguars are, the fall off of the Jags has been just insane. 
Ravens, though, are cementing themselves as the best team in the NFL. Lamar, 18.54 points. I say a likely 18 fantasy points. I love that tight end. I love that tight end. Gus Edwards, 13.9 on my bench. Could have helped me out. My goodness, Zachary, if only you knew how to make good fantasy choices. Jay Agnew, 15 fantasy points for the Jags. Trevor Lawrence, 14.66. And Zay Jones, 10.9. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Scoring-wise, I mean, it was 10-rip at half. Then Jamal Agnew caught a 65-yard pass from Trevor Lawrence. It was 10-7. And then Gus Edwards touchdown to Justin Tucker field goals. And their Ravens defense just held the Jaguars in check. There's just nothing for them to do this entire game. Lamar, 171 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Not really an MVP-type game. He did rush for 97 yards. But guess Edwards rushed for 58 yards and a touchdown, so... Keith Mitchell got hurt. He's out for the year, most likely. Um, I think he actually is out for the year. So expect Gus Edwards to get a lot more touches. If you have Justice Hill, he could potentially get some touches. But remind yourselves, Lamar Jackson loves to run. Receiving Isaiah Likely, five catches, 70 yards, and a touchdown. Lamar likes him with Mark Andrews out. Rashad Bateman, three catches, 39 yards. Odell, only one catch for 14 yards. And Zay Flowers, only one catch for seven yards. Very odd to see. Trevor Lawrence, 25 of 43. He was slinging the ball, but 264 yards and a touchdown is all he has to throw for it. Did rush four times for 41 yards. Travis Etienne on 10 carries, only 31 yards. Man, Ridley, Jones, both caught five catches, 59 and 39 yards to show for it, though. Really just held everyone in check. Really just got held in check. This Ravens D held everyone in check. What more can you ask for from a team? What more could you ask for? Ravens are 11-3, and three, the best team in the AFC. Honestly, I think they're the best team in the league. They've, uh, we'll actually find out who the best team in the league is on uh, the final game of Week 15. That's pretty. Week 16, I should say. Wow. Week 16. Ravens 11-3. and three, They have a plus 160, a plus 159 point differential. Four-game win streak for the Ravens. I mean, it's just just been great. This defense has looked great. This is the best defense in the league, I'm pretty sure. Only 225 points allowed. Offense is approaching 400. Love to see it. They meet the 49ers next week for what could be game of the season. Could be game of the season. I have no idea who I'm going to pick in that. I have no idea who I'm going to pick in that. 49ers are at home, which would lead me towards them. But at the same time, I mean, this Ravens team, they're such dogs. They're such dogs. D-A-double-G-S dogs. I mean, how can I not pick them? But best of luck to the Ravens the rest of the season as Lamar will hope to break his playoff curse this upcoming playoffs. And by the way, if Ravens lose out and Browns win out, Browns can win the division. Weird scenarios that could happen. As for the Jaguars are now, they're 8-6, they're and six, three game losing streak, plus six point differential. They're still leading the AFC South, but they have the same record as the Colts and the Texans. Pretty crazy. And if it does come down, to a tiebreaker at the moment. The Texans do hold a win over the Jaguars. Jaguars hold a win over the Colts. Um, Jaguars actually won two games over the Colts. So a Colts tiebreaker with the Jags for record goes to the Jaguars. Um, as for the Texans, Jaguars split with them. Okay. Okay. Jaguars only divisional game left is in week 18 against the Titans. They will meet the Buccaneers next week. I don't know how I'm going to feel about that, but if you're a Jaguars fan, you have to be feeling somewhat good. You know, tiebreaker will lean towards you, but got to be careful. Colts and Texans could easily get a win. AFC South went from the Jaguars are going to run, run away with it to a three-way tie currently for the best. But thanks to the tiebreakers, Jaguars are currently the best, and they will meet the Bucs next week. We'll see what they do against Baker. 
Then we'll talk about Monday Night Football real quick, and then we'll be done with our little NFL spiel. Wowza. Just wowza. So, yes, Monday Night Football went down the other night, and, man, just the shockers keep coming as the Seahawks beat the Eagles in Seattle 20-17. to Absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. I have no words. I have no freaking words. That's absolutely wild. That's absolutely wild. What an upset by the Seahawks. And I mean, fantasy-wise, Jalen Hurts dropped 21.92 points to beat me in fantasy. Kenneth Walker for the Seahawks, 20. DK got 12.8. Dallas Goddard at 7.1. DeAndre Swift only 9.5. I mean, Jalen Hurts doing his thing, but uh, not enough at the end of the day. Scoring wise, I mean it was it was competitive. It was competitive. It was ten to three at half. You know, Eagles were looking good. Then it was ten to ten. Then it was seventeen to ten heading into the fourth quarter. Jason Myers would hit a field goal, making it seventeen to thirteen. And with twenty eight seconds left, Jackson Smith and Jigba would catch a twenty nine yard pass. Jason Myers with the extra point, and bada bing, bada boom, the Seahawks would win. Incredible, Jalen Hurts. 143 yards throwing, two picks. It was a no-fly zone in Seattle for the Birds. He did rush in two touchdowns for 82 yards, so that was how he got all his fancy points. DeAndre Swift, only 74 yards rushing. What are you doing? What are you doing, DeAndre? It needed a huge game from you. You did not supply. AJ Brown, Devontae Smith, both got five passes for 50 yards. I mean, there's just not much you can do with that. Wow. As for Seattle, Drew Horse, you know what, luck, um, came in and... You know, Gino was out. People were like, this is the guy that Gino replaced. It was supposed to be Drew Locke since that Broncos trade. Drew Locke, 22 for 33, 208 yards, and a touchdown. Not too bad from the kid. Kenneth Walker, 19 rushes for 86 yards and a touchdown. He was doing his part. DK, 5 catches, 78 yards. Smith and Jigba, 4 catches, 48 yards, and the game-winning touchdown. Tyler Lockett, only 3 catches, 21 yards. I might have to bench that boy next weekend. Honestly, I might freaking bench him. I might freaking bench him, boys, but wow. Seahawks, 7-7, seven and seven, minus 35-point differential. They're not done yet. The Seahawks are not out of the playoffs yet. They are just, they're hanging in there. They're hanging in there, but it's looking a bit bleak. Um, Seahawks, no, Christmas weekend. We'll meet the Titans. Oh, yeah. Easy lock for the Seahawks. As for the Eagles, three-game losing streak. Plus 100, plus 18 point differential, if I can do math, plus 18 point differential only. The defense has been atrocious for the Eagles this season, giving up 341 points. I mean, offense can only do so much. I mean, Jalen Hurts can try and be the man as much as he wants, but no, for Jalen Hurts having to carry this team, I mean, it is, he's not having an MVP season. They went from the best team in the NFL to a 10 and 4, not even leading the NFC East. They're currently the fifth seed. Absolutely nuts. That's just absolutely nuts. Wow. Just wow. We'll see what happens for the Eagles the rest of the way. They do have a winnable game against the Giants, though. So we'll um, we'll root for them there. We'll root for the Giants in that one. But as for everything else will go, what can I say? What can Zachary say? Um, but yeah. That's, uh, that's it for the week. Before we talk about the playoff picture, let me give you a little talk about my fantasy team. You know, it's it's been interesting. It's been interesting. So before we begin, we have to say RIP to two leagues. We do have to say goodbye to two leagues. It sucks. It really freaking sucks. So first off, 
in the Cato League with 12 of my friends from Ankato, or 11, I should say, including me, I lost because I put in Taiji Spears instead of Devin Singletary. I lost to our number one team, though. I lost our number two team, or whoever it was, my friend Will. Um, so at least I lost the number one guy. Christian McCaffrey, Kenneth Walker, Jalen Hurts. They screwed me over. Just got too many points. But uh, Miami D came up clutch. Matt Stafford dropped 18. Cooper Cup got 25. You know, boys did their part. Um, so we'll head to the losers bracket in that one, which I don't really care. I mean, I'll still I'll still set my team, but I'm not really gonna care really what happens there. But hey, you know what? Didn't do too badly. We placed out of the twelve men. I placed. Uh, I don't even think I placed at the top. Let's see. One, two, three. One, two, three. I placed seventh out of twenty. Wow, I was in the bottom half. I made the playoffs though. I made the playoffs. Four other people can say they didn't make the playoffs. So tough luck there. I mean, roster this week. I mean, it's looking like it's going to be Matt Stafford. Matt, why is Matt Stafford against New Orleans a bad matchup? I like that matchup. I'm riding with him in that one. Heck yeah. Heck yeah, I'm riding with Matt Stafford against the Saints. We'll go Matt Stafford. Um, Chubba Hubbard, John J. Swift, Tyree Kill if he plays, Cooper Cup, Sam Laporta. Sucks I have Sam Laporta in this league. Devin Singletary will throw in. Dolphins D against Dallas is projected 4.6. Um, should I put Gus Edwards in? Think he's going to get a lot of touches? I don't know. We'll see. And then in the six-man All-Star League, the family league, with my parents and my uh, three cousins, my boy cousins, um, we got eliminated by my father in round number one. Team was terrible this year. Team was terrible this year. Four and ten. Thank goodness this was in basically a six-man all-star league, and I have four teams. But, yeah, just brutal stuff this year. Um, did have a positive point differential, though, for going four and ten. Positive point differential. Kind of kind of odd. Best of luck to um, – I'll play my mom in the loser's bracket. What a – me and my mom just play – oh, wait, we have a weird loser's bracket. Oh, what the heck? Wow, we have a really weird loser's bracket. Um – yeah, I guess I'll battle to try and not take last. Best I could take is third. That should be the goal in this league. But uh, yeah, my cousin Ryan, who we'll have on, he'll play my dad. He was our number one seed. Wow. And uh, my cousin Kevin, who's the worst team, will play my number two team, my cousin Parker. Um, roster for that team, um, I'm doing Dak this week. Uh, or should I do Mahomes? How did Mahomes do against the Raiders last time they played? Um, they play the Raiders. They played the Raiders, right? Las Vegas. He dropped a 20 bomb. Hmm. I kind of like that. I kind of like that, honestly. I might put in Mahomes this week just to do it. I'm sure I don't care. I got Kyron Williams in, Raheem Mostert. Love both of those guys. Um, Mike Evans is in, Debo Samuel, Travis Kelsey, Derek Henry. Do I start Derek Henry? I don't think I can. Let's start Travis Etienne. I like that guy. Falcons D against Indiana and Dustin Hopkins. Number two kicker in fantasy from the Browns. But as for my two leagues, I am doing good in. All right, in the random league, this is uh, I got a first round bye, which thank goodness I put up like terrible points. So we will be advancing to the next round in the playoffs. Um, these are single round. I'll be playing Heedy. Kitty, um, kid I've known for a while now. He's one of my buddy's neighbors. I knew him when he was little. Now he's all grown up. Pretty crazy. Let's check out his team, though, because he's currently the four seed. He's got Lamar, James Conner, Jay Warren, Tyree Kill, A.J. Brown, Pat Farmuth, Chris Godwin, Rams D, Nick Folk. On the bench, Jacoby Myers, Cole Komet, Devin Singletary, Chubb Hubbard. Whew. We'll see what happens, boys, but this is the lineup we're rocking with at the moment. Jalen Hurts coming in. David Montgomery, Isaiah Pacheco needs to play. I'm really hoping for it. Justin Jefferson, Tyler Lockett kind of had a doozy of a week. He's playing Tennessee, though. And I don't know if I should play Calvin Ridley 
or Tyler Lockett. I might go Calvin Ridley since Trevor Lawrence targets him so much. Isaiah Likely is probably going in over to Taysom Hill. Devontae Smith is probably going to be in the flex most likely. Brandon Aubrey, number one kicker. And Colts D against Atlanta. Kind of like that. Kind of like that matchup there. And as for my favorite team, in the 10-man $20 buy-in league, we are looking good. Of course, only top four teams made it. They each play uh, each other for two weeks. So we have week 15 done. I'm up 76.35 points. Incredible. Incredible stuff from the boys. Christian McCaffrey went off. Rasheed Rice went off. Isaiah Likely went off. Raheem Mostert went off. Miami defense went off. Matt Gay went off. Oh my gosh. All the boys were scoring. I was loving it. I was having it. I was freaking having it, man. I was having a good day with this team. Um, But we still got one more week to play. Still got one more week to play. I'm not satisfied. I mean, when you put up 176 points, I mean, actually, I put up 170, my bad, 170.58, you're feeling pretty freaking good. Trevor Lawrence, my ride with him over Tampa, and Sam Howell kind of sucks. Um, pending moves, what was I doing? I was trying to add Jake Brown and drop Sam Howell. Wow, that's a weird move. That's the things I do in the morning when I'm looking at the waiver wire, I question myself sometimes. But look, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Raheem Mostert, love the running backs. Love the running backs. Now, I will say, Jordan Addison, Rasheed Rice, I like them. But we also got T. Higgins, Mari Cooper, Cortland Sutton. I have so many wide receivers. I have decisions to make. I have some decisions to make. I don't know who I'm going to go with. Choices will have to be made. Isaiah Likely, in at the tight end. I'm liking this guy. It's either him or Taysom Hill. Same as my other league. Maybe I start Taysom Hill in another league. We'll see. Raheem Mostert in the flex I mentioned. Dolphins D. I just got to ride with the Dolphins D. They're in the number four defense. Even if they're playing Dallas, you know. Is what it is. They're at home. I should give them some advantage. And Matt Gay, who's the number five kicker in fantasy. Not too shabby. I'll keep you all updated on how we do. But as for the NFL playoff picture, okay, here's the current playoffs. Look at the AFC. Ravens are currently in the number one seed. In the wild card round, Dolphins number two seed would play the number seven seed Colts. So Colts are currently in. Another one. Number three seeded Chiefs would play the number six seeded Bengals. Bengals, you're in. And Jaguars at four would play the obviously going to make it five-seeded Browns. Interesting matchups there. Personally, if these matchups all come to be, I'd favor Dolphins over Colts, Chiefs over Bengals, and i go Browns over Jaguars, honestly. In the hunt, in the eight-seed is the Texans, nine-seed is the Bills, Steelers are at the ten-seed, somehow still in it, and at 11, somehow in the race. I have no idea how. How are the uh, Broncos? So we'll see how the rest of it plays out. But um, wow, I guess the Broncos and Steelers can still make it. Interesting. And the NFC number one seed getting a bye would be the 49ers. Probably going to be the case. Wild card round number two seed Cowboys. Number seven seed Rams. Probably have to go Cowboys. Um, number three seed Lions. Number six seed Vikings. If they have to play each other three times in four weeks, that'd be wild. And uh, number four seed Bucks and number five seed Eagles. I'd probably favor the Eagles in that. In the hunt, Seahawks at the eight, Saints at the nine, Falcons at the ten, and somehow, I don't know how this is possible, the Packers are the 11th seed. Who's let them, who who made this? The Packers are not going to do this. The Packers are not going to win. Who who let them, who let them do this? Who gave, who gave, who, what intern is saying the Packers are going to make the playoffs? Absolutely atrocious. But yeah, NFL is buzzing right now. We're winding down towards the end, and uh, it's just getting really exciting. Week 15, as you can tell, a lot went down. I just talked for like an hour about everything, so um, fun stuff. I really do enjoy talking about the NFL, and once it's over, we'll have to find something else to fill our time. But 
We got one more thing for you. Our UFC 296 review to close out the podcast. We'll see if we can do it in under 30 minutes. If not, we'll have our first ever three-hour episode. Thank you, folks. I'll be right back, which I guess for you isn't any time. This would be perfect if I had ads where I could take a break and then run an ad in the middle of the podcast. But, hey, still a young podcaster. Maybe we'll get sponsored one day. All righty. Let's get into it. UFC 296, the final pay-per-view of the year. It was an interesting one, to say the least. I mean, that's that's all, all you can say. There were some highs. There were some lows. Let's go over all the fights that went down. For starters, though, we went 3-2 and two on the whole of, uh, for the main card. 3-2 and two on picks. I believe we went 500. For the little card off to see, but uh, our yearly total is in for main card picks. Drum roll, please. We went two hundred thirty-seven and eighty-four. So that's um, was that we had we went plus one hundred and fifty-three, plus one hundred and fifty-one or something. I think it was plus one hundred and fifty-three actually for our main card predictions in twenty twenty-three. Not too shabby, improving every year. Our uh, all-time total since uh, January of 2020 is now 508 and 361. So uh, we're trying to get up plus 200 all-time. Uh, it's been a struggle. I, I didn't start out always being so good at NFL picks, you know. It's, it takes skill. And NFL picks, I mean UFC picks. You know, it's, tough to, it's tough to predict events every, uh, every single week. You get upsets, sometimes stuff that you think, whoa, is just too obvious to happen, actually happens. Um, it's always fun, though. It's always freaking fun. Uh, for the year, I mean, year in review for picks, I mean, we went uh, undefeated a couple of times at UFC 283. I went 5-0 and at uh, UFC Vegas 71, 4-0. UFC Charlotte, 5-0. UFC Jacksonville, 4-0. Uh, any others? UFC Vegas 79, 5-0. UFC 292, 5-0. A couple of 5-1s here and there. And for the first time ever, unfortunately, my 0-5. I went 0-5 for 5 on picks at UFC Vegas 81, unfortunately. But yeah, UFC 296, we went 3-2 and two as we look forward to a new year of fights. We kicked off UFC 296 with the debut of Shamil Gazioff against Martin Day. This was a fun one. Uh, I freaking love Shamil Gazioff, all right? I saw him on Datawise Contender Series, and right away I knew I was going to be a fan of this boy in the UFC. And this fight could have been stopped in round number one. Shamil Gazioff absolutely took it to Martin Boudet. 36 significant strikes to seven in round number one. Absolutely insane for Shamil Gazioff. Just bringing the pressure to him. Oh, my God. Gosh, um, round two, I mean, it only took 56 seconds, 13 to one significant strikes for the ref to jump in. Mark Smith was like, you know what? I've seen enough of these two beating and bammering on each other. Shamil Gazioff gets the round two TKO over Martin Bidet to improve to 12-0. and 0, And that was actually Shamil's eighth KO victory and 12, 11th finish. 11 finishes of his 12 wins. Incredible stuff from Shamil. Great debut. And for Martin Bidet, that snapped a 12-fight winning streak. Right? He is now 4-1 in the UFC. Uh, not too shabby. Uh, but uh, yeah, Shmuel Gazioff is on his way up the rankings. Let's get let's get this boy ranked opponent. Um, number fifteen ranked Rodrigo Nascimento. Number fourteen ranked Marcos Rogério de Lima. Number thirteen ranked Alexander Romanov. Number ten Marcin Tabura. Any of these guys? I mean, I'm happy to see. Um, that's if Marcin loses to Tatuvasa. That is, I'm happy to see any of these guys take on Shmuel Gazioff. Love to see it, Shmuel. As for Martin, rebuild yourself, man. Maybe a fight with Mohammed Usman will change your mind, younger brother of Kamaru. But Shmuel. 
started the car off, car off, card off good and got performance bonus for it. Kept the action rolling as Andre Touchy Feely took on Lucas Almeida. And to my surprise, Andre Feely got it done. He gets a round one TKO three and a half minutes into the fight. Drops Lucas Almeida with a right. Goes down to the ground. Actually, I, I th- what was the punch? It was, I think it might have been a left, like kind of like hook uppercut, actually, that dropped Lucas Almeida. But a uh, good win for Andre Feely. I was happy for him, man. Good way to bounce back after... um. Uh, Having been finished, uh, not but two fights ago, he also lost earlier this year. That was his 10th KO victory of his career and also his 23rd overall. That makes it 1-1 one one on the year. Not too uh, pretty good for Andre Touchy-Feely. Looking to work his way back up the featherweight rankings. I'm... Uh, Happy to see it. I'm happy to see it, Andre. As for Lucas Almeida, he is now one and two in the UFC. Ben finished his last two fights out. I don't know what. Oh, what lo and behold, Lucas Almeida. I don't know if he has a future in the UFC. But after going zero and two in 2023, again finished both times. It can't be looking good. Andre Feely. He'll be looking up. Not towards the rankings yet. Not towards the rankings yet. I mean, if you were to give him any ranked opponent, it'd be. Gosh, he's just, no, he's not ready for the rankings. I can't even find him an opponent. He's just not ready. But, um, Andre, you hang in there. Moving to Flyweight, we had a ranked matchup between uh, Tagiril and Beckoff and Cody Durden. Um, Tagiril and Beckoff wins by round two submission. Round one, Tagir, who is not known for his striking at all, dropped Cody Durden with a punch, took him down. I mean, Cody was able to survive, but Tagir was able to win round one. Round two, Tagir. Getting piece up on the feet a bit. Went, took him down, held him down the whole fight. With 35 seconds left, submit him with a rear naked choke. Good win for Tagir Ulam. Back off, that makes it two straight submission victories, two wins. And he's now 4-1 in the UFC. Has only lost to Tim Elliott, which was controversial. And Tim Elliott's now, or Tagir's now ranked number 11. Tagir passes Steve Ersig to move to the number 11 spot in the men's flyweight division. And with that loss, Cody Durden is bumped from the rankings. And Tatsuro Taira, my favorite Japanese boy, moves into the rankings. I love Tatsuro Taira. But uh, as for Tagir, good win for him. That was actually his ninth career submission victory. 15 career victories overall. What's next for Tagir? I mean, he holds the loss to Tim Elliott now. He's ranked one, one spot above him. But I'd say maybe, hmm, who else has he fought in the UFC? Uh, no one ranked yet. I'd say maybe Matt Schnell, ranked number nine. Matt Schnell versus Tagir Olympekov. Good stuff for him. As for Cody, you know, that snapped a four-fight winning streak. He had been 2-0 in, UFC, in uh, 2023 previously. Tough loss for him, but... I don't doubt he can rebound, man. You know, but uh, he is he is thirty at two. Well, so we'll uh, we'll see if he can rebound. I don't know. I don't know, man. But Tagir, you surprised me. I didn't think Tagir would get it done, and he did. Another lady who I did not think was going to win, but did earning a performance of the night as Ariana Lipsky gets a round two armbar of Casey O'Neill in the women's flyweight division. Incredible stuff from, oh my gosh, what's her name? What's Ariana Lipsky's name? From the Queen of Violets. I love it so much. I mean, just from the get go. In round one, you could just tell that Casey O'Neill just wasn't all there. I mean, Ariana was piecing her up on the feet, even landed a takedown, didn't hold her down long. But uh, one, one round one on the feet, and then round two is piecing Casey O'Neill up some more, found her way to the ground, was going for submissions, was able to find the armbar, almost snapped it off, gets the tap from Casey. You love to see it, Ariana, the queen, the queen of violence. I love it, Ariana Lipsky. I love it. And that makes her 3-0, little 3-0 on uh, the year for 2023, and a three-fight win streak. How about that? 
a perfect 2023 for Ariane Lipsky. And beating Casey O'Neill, who was ranked number 12, she takes her spot at number 12. Tracy Cortez moves uh, down to 11 as Natalie Silva moves up to 10. Casey O'Neill down to 14. Andrea Lee down to 15. Someone got booted from the rankings. I think it was Joanne Wood. She sucks, though. Ariane Lipsky now on the rankings at 12. Good stuff for her. Um, man, how about that? They're earning an extra 50K, too. Uh, she'll they lost if they won in the UFC. Uh, no, no one. Uh, well, Shields losses in the UFC, but no one in the rankings currently. So let's have her fight number ooh, number eight ranked Viviana Rujo. I like that. Or number nine ranked Amanda Hebos. Whatever one of those two women want the smoke, they can get the smoke. So um, Lipsky, happy for you. As for Casey O'Neill, as for Casey O'Neill, man. Man, oh man. All right, Lipsky got her fourth submission victory. Casey O'Neill suffered her second career defeat and is now on a two-fight losing streak. 0-2 in 2023. Been a terrible year for her. She's going to have to rebound. Going to have to rebound. Maybe she takes on some unranked woman's flyweight. I don't know, but back to the drawing board for Casey. As for Ariana Lipsky, the queen of violence, looks up in the rankings. One of my favorite moments on this whole card, and I'm amazed he didn't get 50K, was Cody Garbrandt knocking out Brian Kelher in round number one. Incredible stuff from No Love Garbrandt. Absolute redemption for him. Just, just, I mean, it wasn't but last year in 2022. People are talking he's retired. 2023 goes 2-0 and gets a knockout victory. Incredible stuff. What was that? That was Cody Garbrandt's 11th career KO victory and his 14th overall. I mean, it was just back and forth between him and Brian Kelher. Cody was just patient. He was bobbing and weaving nicely. You know, when Brian would go for a takedown, he was able to defend it. And, I mean, just kept his distance, landed some big shots, eventually clipped them, dropped them to the ground, didn't even follow up. And that was that. Cody Garbrandt is your winner. A little two-fight winning streak now for Cody. Good stuff for Garbrandt. I love it. As for Brian Kelher, three-fight losing streak. Yikes. Now, those losses are to Umar Magmanop, Mario Batista, and Cody Garbrandt. They all are in round one, though. So, Brian Keller, I don't know if you'll be invited back to the UFC. I kind of hope you do. I mean, he's been there since 2017. But uh, Garbrandt having a big callout of Davison Figueredo in the bantamweight division. Davison recently joined it after beating Rob Font at UFC Austin. Davison now ranked number eight at bantamweight. Um, you know, it's tough to say if Cody will get that fight. They were actually booked to fight each other in November of 2020 for the men's flyweight championship, which is just such a weird thought to think about. Um, you can obviously do that fight in UFC 300, but someone else pitched an idea that he should fight Dominic Cruz in a rematch. Kind of like the idea. Dominic Cruz is ranked number 10, coming off some losses. Um, you can do that. You can have him fight anyone else unranked. I don't know. Cody Garbrandt, I kind of hope they put him on UFC 300 on the prelims. I like seeing this guy. Good win for Garbrandt. Keeping the prelim finish streak rolling until we ran into Irene Aldana, Carol Rosa, and the women's bantamweight division. And you may be thinking, oh, another boring women's bantamweight fight that went all three rounds. You would be wrong. A fight of the year contender between these two women's bantamweights. This was just two gladiators in a freaking cage. I loved it. I loved everything I saw from it, man. Oh, my goodness. Round one. Carol Rosa outstrikes her 45 to 30. Round two, Carol Rosa outstrikes her 67 to 54. Round three, Carol Rosa lands 92 significant strikes to 61 on Irene Aldana. And yet it wasn't enough. I mean, 
Irene had her entire face busted up. Carol Rosa was a destroyed Aldana's leg. Aldana's leg was like a tree that was just barely hanging out after getting hacked at. I mean, this was a bloody massacre. Fight of the year contender for sure. This is absolutely crazy. 46% of uh, uh, Carol Rosa's uh, significant strikes were to the leg of um, Irene Aldana. And 84% of Irene Aldana's significant strikes were to the head of Carol Rosa. It was absolutely wild. I was loving it. Carol Rosa, an absolute dog. Irene Aldana, an absolute dog. There were no losers in this fight. I tell you that. Looking back on Carol Rosa's UFC run, I mean, she started out a perfect 4-0 in the company since March of 2022 has gone win-loss, win-loss. This wasn't really a loss. This was a close fight. Could have gone either way. And that's for Irene Aldana. This was a perfect way to rebound from that terrible fight against Amanda Nunes earlier this year. Both women get 50K. Both women enter the new year with some fire under them. Uh, as for Irene Aldana, though, she won, though. Still ranked number 5. Uh, Carol Rosa stays at number 9 since she uh, did lose to Yana Santos. But uh, actually, she did she beat Yana Santos? I have no idea. Oh, she beat Macy Chisone. But I don't think these two women should run it back. I think maybe Irene Aldana should fight the winner of Kelton Vieira and Macy Chisone. Do do something like that. Maybe even run it back. Carol Rosa, uh, maybe take on Misha Tate. I don't know. But as for this card, fight of the night. Absolutely amazing. Two warriors. Warriors. Two female warriors. I love to see it. Light heavyweight action closed out our prelims, and these two men did not disappoint either as Alonzo Menafield beat Dustin Jacoby by unanimous decision. I mean, you just cannot finish Dustin Jacoby, can you? This guy just does not go away. Round one, Dustin outstrikes him heavily, 28 to 14 significantly, 38 to 25 overall. But, you know, just some hard hits from both these guys. Just hard hitters. And round two kicks off. And Alonzo's just landing these punches on Dustin. You're like, how is he not going down? He had some slips. He had some fallbacks that looked like knockdowns. Only one registered knockdown in the third for Alonzo, which I have no idea how Dustin Jacoby survived. Um, Alonzo was just hanging off for dear life at the end. 29 to 20, unanimous decision. Goes to Alonzo Menfield. Could have gone either man's way. Competitive stuff from these two. I mean, just hard hits. I mean, the chins. The chins of these two. I don't know how they survived all the hits they landed on each other. I don't know how Alonzo never got dropped. I don't know how Jacoby never got knocked out. Amazing work from Chris Dione for never stopping the fight. Um, with this win, Alonzo Menfield jumps up two spots to the number 12 spot in the men's light heavyweight division. Dustin Jacoby stays at 15. And I'm going to be honest. After Dominic Reyes presumably loses... To Carlos Uberg, I would love to see Dominic Reyes versus Dustin Jacoby. As for Alonzo Menafield, Ryan Spann is ranked one spot ahead of him. I would love to see that fight against number 11 ranked Ryan Spann. But these two, amazing work. Dustin Jacoby, sadly though, is 1-3 in three his last four fights since October 2022. I will not lie. All four of those decisions are very close. The Cleo Roundtree fight, there's no way that he lost that fight. But, hey, that's just how it goes. Alonzo Menafield, though. Two-fight win streak. Um, Actually, no. He had a draw, so that's actually... He has a five-fight unbeaten streak. Four-fight win streak lives on, I'm pretty sure. Um, Only loss was to William Knight in December of 2021. That was two years ago. Um, Good stuff from Lonzo Menafield this year. Honestly, goes 2-0-1. No losses. Just one draw against Jimmy Crute, which he avenged in July. I'm liking what's going to happen for Lonzo in the new year. I'm liking it, you know. I was feeling pretty high. You know, I'd picked the Cody Garbrandt fight, picked the Ariel Donna fight, picked the Alonzo Menafield fight, and I was ready for the main card. And wow. Wow. This, if you watched the first fight in this main card, you'd have thought this was going to be the greatest card of all time because, oh, my gosh. First fight, Josh Emmett, 
Bryce Mitchell in the men's featherweight division. I mean, I just, I don't even know what to tell you guys. Going first minute, first minute and a half, just going back and forth. No one's punching, just feeling each other out, feeling each other out, feeling each other out. I'm pretty sure Josh haven't landed maybe like one jab or something. One minute, 57 mark of the round. Josh Emmett lands a destructive right, a one-punch knockout to Bryce Mitchell, sends him straight to the canvas, and Bryce Mitchell starts having a seizure, a seizure. He had a minor seizure after getting brutally knocked out. Absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. I could not believe it. I could not believe it. I, I, was, I was just... I was just, wow, this is shock. You were like, am I watching this guy die? Am I watching Bryce Mitchell die before my eyes? But no, Josh Emmett has that one-punch power, did not follow up. Bryce Mitchell even made a video Monday morning saying, hey, thank you for not following up, Josh. I would have gotten even more brain damage. Just, oh, my goodness. Josh, CC0 Emmett, just amazing. Josh Emmett gets his seventh career KO victory, and what a way to rebound. I mean, here's a guy, comes in. February gets an interim title shot against Sierra Rodriguez. He had been on a five-fight winning streak and gets submitted in round number two. Just looked out of place in that fight. Comes back in June, gets obliterated by Ia Topir in a fight of the night, ends his year, ends on the final of a final event of the year, opening in the main card, around one knockout. And, you know, Bryce Mitchell, obviously controversial, flat earther, Republican, hick boy, but you know what? No one was really hating on the guy. They were all saying, you know what, glad he got up, glad he got to it. And Bryce Mitchell's two losses in the UFC now are to Ia Topira and Josh Emmett. He'll be back next year, but Josh Emmett, man, good for you. Josh Emmett does stay at the number six spot in the men's featherweight division. Arnold Allen actually moves up to the number three spot for some for some reason. He's currently tied right to take it for the number three spot. And as for Bryce Mitchell, stays at the number 10 spot. I'd maybe like to see Bryce Mitchell versus Sadiq Youssef next year. I'd really like that. Or the winner of Leroy Murphy. And uh, if Leroy Murphy beats Danny Gay, I'd love to see that fight. A lot of opportunities to see who Bryce Mitchell fights next. As for Josh Emmett, not too many options. You could maybe run back the Calvin Cater fight. I don't know if that's going to happen. You could have him fight uh, Arnold Allen, maybe. You could have him fight Max Holloway. I don't know. He could go to lightweight. A lot of options for Josh, but he's 38 now. We'll see what happens. He had a great KO to end the year. KO of the year award, honestly. Moving into our next bout, we had Patty Pimblett taking on Tony Ferguson. And, oh my gosh, just, just, of course there's going to be some looniness of this fight. First off, David Goggins, the worst corner man of all time. It was all hype. Toy Ferguson was hyping it. Everything was getting hyped up like, oh, David Goggins going to be in my corner. Great motivational speaker. David Goggins had some of the worst one-liners I've ever heard. I just don't think he knew, he knew what to do with himself. I think he didn't want to interfere with actual, like, uh, the actual coaches, like, telling him stuff. So he was like, you need to be you, Tony. You need to be you. Remember who you are. And I was watching my mom. I'm like, oh, well, he just needs to remember who he is. Then he'll be good. Um, you know, round one, 10-8 uh, for Patty. Almost finished. Tony knocked him down. 70 significant strikes to 29. 76 total strikes to 31. It was a beat down from Patty. Don't know how Tony survived. Round two. I mean, Patty somehow found his way to the ground after Tony slipped and just stayed on top of him for four minutes and 20 seconds. I mean, just dominated him. 46 total strikes, 18. And then round three, you know, Tony outstriking him for 22 to 17, 41 to 29. These are all off his back. Patty goes one for three on takedowns, three minutes and 38 seconds of control time. Patty Pimblett looked gassed. He said something was wrong with his nose. He said, like, his ankle was recovering. So I'm hoping Patty can actually get back to 100%. 
But man, Tony Ferguson now on a seven-fight losing streak after Patty Pimblett wins a unanimous decision. Totals from the fight. I mean, Patty, 106 significant strikes to 62. 151 total strikes to 90. One for four on takedowns for almost nine minutes of control time. Crazy, crazy stuff. Patty Pimblett is now on a five-fight win streak in the UFC. And um, is actually tied for second longest win streak in the lightweight division, which I find very, very odd. I, I don't know what to do with that information. He's tied with Benoit Saint-Denis, and that just shows the different levels. 21-3 and three now professionally. I don't know what to do with him. I don't know what to do with him. I know people want to throw him at some ranked lightweights. I personally don't. I think Alexander Hernandez would be a great fight for him personally. If you do want to throw him at the rankings, Bobby Green's there. Drew Dober's there. Heck, I'd even say throw him at uh, Matt Frivola. Why not? A lot of options for Patty. Um, glad to see him getting a fight in this year. Hopefully big things to come in 2024. As for Tony Ferguson, oh my gosh, seven-fight losing streak. Tied for the longest losing streak in UFC history with BJ Penn. Um, thanks to a draw, Sam Alvey actually does not hold that record. I have no idea how that's even true. Um, but yeah, you know. Man, it's just depressing to watch Tony Ferguson fight. I mean, and he said he's not done. He still wants to become a champion. Someone has to stop this guy from fighting. I think he should fight Jim Miller at UFC 300. Um, have him fight. If he's going to fight, have him fight Clay Guida. Have him fight a UFC legend or something. Don't have him fight young up-and-comer. No more of this young up-and-comers for Tony Ferguson. It's just been, it's just been terrible for him. Uh, and I'll tell you about young up-and-comers facing some older fighters. Our next fight, welterweight Shavkat Rachmanov gets it done. Wow. Wow, Shavkat. I can't believe he actually did. I can't believe Shavkat actually did. Shavkat Rachmanov submits Wonderboy Thompson, Stephen Thompson, in round number two with four seconds remaining. Rear naked chokehold. Name of the game, I mean, from the get-go, I mean, Shavkat went to stand with Wonderboy a bit. Soon realized, like, he's legit. Shavkat outstrikes him in round one, uh, 25 to 14, 12 up to 10 significantly, so pretty close striking. Three minutes and 25 seconds, like just pulling him on the cage. I mean, Shavkat really did not want any part of striking. Round two, managed to get a takedown. I mean, the takedown was tough to get in this. Four minutes and 20 seconds of control time. Like I said, landed some punches on him. I mean, almost finished him with some punches. Went for multiple submission attempts. Eventually got the rear control called in. Wonderboy didn't even know what time it was, but the squeeze was too painful, and he tapped. Shavkat Rachmanov now improves to 6-0 in the UFC, 18-0 professionally, all finishes. Incredible stuff from Shavkat. Gets his 10th KO, um, 10th submission victory. 10th submission victory. <laughs> Longest submission streak in UFC currently, I think. I don't know if it's ever, but it might be of all time, or, or just for currently in the UFC. Six fights, six finishes. What more can you ask for? This guy's a beast. Five submissions in the UFC. Wow. That's pretty nuts. Um, that's Ronaldoy Thompson. Second time in his career he's been finished. First time ever getting submitted. Now one and three in his last four. Don't know what's next for Wonder Boy, but with that win, Shafkat now moves to the number three spot in the men's welterweight division. Wonderboy Thompson stays at six. I'm thinking that uh Steven Thompson. You know, might have to take on a young up-and-cover. Uh, Ian Gary's taking on Jeff Neal at, uh, in March. I'm feeling maybe late 2024. We get Ian Gary versus Wonderboy Thompson. That feels like a fight that's coming our way. Or you have him fight Colby Covington. I don't know. Or you have him fight, I don't know, Mike Mallett if he beats Neil Magny. Young up-and-comers are what's coming for Steven Wonderboy Thompson. As for Shavkat, I mean, whew, what do we do with this guy? What do we do with Shavkat, man? I mean, he's 18-0, undefeated, 
Kid's only 29 years old. I mean, incredible stuff. Curly ring number three. It's either title shot or Bilal Muhammad. That's the only way I see it. I saw, I saw some people saying he should fight Colby Covington. Colby's ranked below him now. Colby, that's not what's going to happen. Shafgat should get a title shot or he should fight Bilal Muhammad for a title shot. Those are the options that we're going to get. Um, I hope he gets the title shot. I'm a Shafkat fanboy. That's what I'm rooting for. So if I was the matchmaker, I'd say, you know what, Leon? You get to fight the undefeated Shafkat Nomad Rachmanov. Love him. I love you, Shafkat. Absolute beast. Absolute beast. Sad to see Wonderboy lose, though. He's one of the good guys. Co-main event was a big one for the Men's Flyweight Championship. And yeah, Alexander Pantoa won. You know, he won. There's not much to say. I mean, he just grappled his way to a victory. Grappled his way to a victory. I mean, round one, outstruck him, 27-13 to 13 significantly. Uh, Rival got taken down one of two times for two minutes and 50 seconds of control time. And round two, you know, Rival was outstriking him, actually. But Alexander Pantoa took him down two of three times for three minutes and 45 seconds. And actually, Brandon Rival landed 80 total strikes on Pantoa in round number two, all from his back. Incredible. I mean, Pan Ravel was throwing so many strikes from his back, but just kept getting taken down. Round three, taken down two of five times. Round four, Pantoa didn't even land a significant strike in round four. Four minutes and 21 seconds of control time. He just grappled his way to a win. Round five, Pantoa actually was standing with them. And actually, you know, these two rocked each other at times, but, you know, just Pantoa kept leaning on the grappling. Totals from the fight, 95 significant strikes for Pantoa, 111 for Brandon Rival. This is crazy for total strikes. 126 from Pantoa. 281 for Brandon Rival. 8 of 14 for 15 minutes and 51 seconds control time for Alexander Pantoa. Name of the game. Judges scorecards 49-46, 50-45, 50-45. snuck in one round on one judges scorecard. So, tough loss for Brandon Rival, you know, but uh, he'll be back. He'll be back. He'll rebound. Alexander Pantoa, though, doesn't really move the needle. I mean, he gets a... Title defense, five-fight win streak now, number 10 pound-for-pound pound fighter. Just wait for another contender. You know, it was a dominant win, but it was a boring win. It was a boring win. I think that's kind of what sucks. You know, it wasn't too boring at the time, but you were just aware. It's just a lot of grappling. Pantoa, you know, he'll probably fight the winner of Brandon Moreno and Amir Bazi. As for Brandon Rival, you know, he could go to bantamweight. I know some people said he should go to bantamweight, maybe take on Rob Font, Pedro Munoz, Ricky Simone, or he stays at flyweight, you know, rematches Kaikara France, takes on the winner of Manel Cape and uh, Matthias Nakalu, takes on the winner of Mohamed Gavin Alex Perez. A couple options, Brandon Rival. Might be a bit out of action, though, for a while. As for Pindo, I'm really hoping it's Miral Basi. And then we get to our main event, and, you know, it sucks we have to end the 50th episode with such a terrible fight. One of the worst main events of 2023, and honestly, might have been the worst title fight of 2023, as Leon Edwards beats Colby Covington by unanimous decision, 49-46 across the board. Totals from the fight, significant strikes 57-44 to in favor of Leon. Total strikes 109-65 to in favor of Colby. Both men landed two takedowns, Colby for five minutes of control time, Leon for a minute and a half. Wow, this was just all that talk, and Kobe Covington didn't even show up till the final freaking rounds. I mean, Leon casually out kickboxed him in round number one, 13 to 10 in total strikes. And you're kind of just like, okay, that did not look like the normal Kobe. Round two, 18 to 13. Leon casually out kickboxed him. Leon's now up two rounds just casually. We haven't seen the real Kobe. The real Colby kind of comes out in round number three, goes for some three crappy takedowns, lands one. Leon easily gets back up, actually lands a takedown of his own just to prove he can. And then Colby Covington gets scout kickboxed. 
Never, never got wobbled. Never wobbled Dion. I mean, Colby was bleeding from his like the up the side of his head and the top of his nose, and there was like insignificant cuts. Round four, Leon Edwards gets out significant struck thirteen to eleven, out toll struck nineteen to eleven, but won the round. You know, he landed. You could just tell Leon won this round. And round five, Colby dominated, out grappled him. Three minutes, pounded on, 54 total strikes to 10. And brutally losing this fight, gets up and starts celebrating. Gets up and starts celebrating. Go, go, give me my belt, give me my belt. Everyone's just kind of shaking their heads like, oh, this guy just gave us the most boring fight, trying to act like he deserves the belt. Just a pitiful performance from Chloe Covington. I don't want to say he lost me as a fan. Because if he fights, I'll still pick him and root for him. Because, you know, I don't really want to be the guy that goes back on someone. But, you know, the, the pre-fight comments, they, they aren't as fun now. They aren't as fun now. You know, they just seem kind of mean. After he, after they interviewed him, you know, he started, he was like, Trump 2024, like, praise all the first responders. And I'm like, no one wants to hear this. Obviously, obviously people like Trump, the statement we talked to. Obviously, people like first responders. No one likes you. No one likes you right now. I think it was a huge reality check for him. He was trying to play this persona still after losing. And everyone was just kind of hoping he'd be humble. He called it the easiest fight of his life. He said he should have won. Colby, you're delusional. Then he called all of his haters broke bitches. I think he might have called me a broke bitch. I was like, Colby, come on, man. Come on. You got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me, Covington. You're, you're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing me as a Colby fan. But this is what it is. Colby Covington, I don't know what's going to happen with this guy. Been win-loss, win-loss since uh, 2019. You know, four fights in four years is not it. Is not it at all. Kobe Covington drops down to number five spot in the men's welterweight division. I think he should either fight Dustin Poirier in a welterweight bout, or he should fight a young up-and-comer. Will he do either of those? I doubt it. No idea if I'll see Kobe Covington fight again. I don't know if I care. I really don't. As for Leon Edwards, 4-5 win streak now, 12-fight unbeaten streak, yet to lose since 2016. Incredible stuff from Leon Edwards. Gets his second title defense, 2-0 in 2023. Not too bad for Rocky. I'm kind of a Leon Edwards fan now. I kind of like Leon Edwards now a bit more. Especially if he has to fight Bilal Muhammad, my goodness. Uh, Leon doesn't move anywhere in uh, the uh, UFC rankings. Actually, funny enough, Sean Strickland passes Sean O'Malley from... Uh, Eight to seven. Oh, he's now up to seven after uh, fighting Driscus Duplessis in the stands. It was so funny. They panned the camera to Sean Strickland. He pointed a gu- fake gun with his hands back at Duplessis. Duplessis was like talking to him, flicking him off, saying, Bring it, bring it. And Sean Strickland tells Gilbert Burns, who is sitting behind him with his family, he's like to his wife, Can you move? Can you move? And he jumps over and starts wailing on Duplessis. It's absolutely crazy. Dana White took full blame, said, What type of idiot like me would seat them next to each other? It was it was pretty comical. I won't lie. It was it was pretty comical. But um, you're at the same time you're kind of just like this is chaos. What what is going on right now? Um, Leon, uh, probably next for you is a title shot against Leon Edwards. <laughs> What's actually a title shot against a title shot against Shavkat Rachmanov or Bilal Muhammad? Islam Makhachev wants to have a double title shot fight, but I think Islam's got work to do at 155. Even if they give Islam the shot, I'd probably, I don't know who I'd pick, but good win for Leon. One of the worst towel fights of the year. Both towel fights were not that entertaining. Shafkat Wonderboy was pretty boring. Patty and Tony was somewhat interesting. I'd say the prelims were the best part, and Josh Emmett KOing Bryce Mitchell. But yeah, an interesting way to round out 2023. But hey, I've seen worse, and I'll probably see more of the worst. But. 
Nice, nice way to close out 2023. Was it the worst pay-per-view? I don't even think so. I don't even think this was the worst pay-per-view. The prelims really saved this. Um, but yeah, Colby Covington, the biggest letdown of the event. Trump literally left at like mid-fight. He was like, I can't have enough of this. Trump's like, I can't be associated with this guy. Um, but yeah, good times in the UFC realm, good times in the NFL realm. And that'll bring an end to this 50th episode special of the Surprise Jab Podcast. I mean, this was fun. I talked for a long time. My first ever three-hour podcast. Oh, my gosh. kind of just sets in. Like, right now, like, I'm just talking to myself. But I don't feel like I am. I feel like I'm talking to an audience. I feel like I'm talking to people. I mean, this is absolutely draining my computer battery. But uh, that's funny. This will probably get uploaded Wednesday, December 20th. 20th or 21st? Uh, yeah, December 20th. Um, excited for the Christmas season. Excited for episodes to come. A lot of big uh, UFC rankings. A lot of big NFL games coming up. Um, I'm thinking for Christmas, we might. I might ask Ryan to rank his top 10 Christmas items. I already did Christmas songs, didn't I? I ranked my top 10 Christmas songs, so I don't know if I should do that again, but... Hey, we'll see what happens, guys. Um, thank you all for listening. Thank you for always listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it if I have one listener. I appreciate it if I have ten. Imagine if I have thousands one day. Who knows? Just a boy. It's a boy dreaming. Never be never be scared to reach out to me if you listen to these whole things. Um, you can reach me on my social medias. I'm uh, ZTR2002 at Verdict MMA. That's UFC uh, Picks app. Uh, all free. You can just do it for fun. That's what I do it for. Uh, Zach underscore Ruger on Instagram. Zach underscore Ruger on Snapchat. I don't even think there's an underscore. In my uh, in my bio, I don't even know. YouTube, reach out. TikTok, reach out. You can find me all over. Eat. Follow me on LinkedIn. Give me some LinkedIn followers, for goodness sake. <laughs> uh, everyone, have an amazing week. Have a safe holidays. And I'll catch you next time on the Surprise Jab Podcast.